Episode number 57, Hot Shot Scott. Not a good, not a good sports number. There's a lot of a lot of good ones, but no real to me, no real great like all time number fifty sevens. We'll get to it. No one jumps out of you like Tony Woods from the Seahawks. It's <laughs> the only one I could come up with. How do you even remember Tony Woods? That's probably from see. That's before my time. Yeah, in I Seattle. I think that's probably, must have been a linebacker. Linebacker yeah, Tony linebacker, Woods. Yeah, early nineties. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be episode Tony Woods. Yeah, probably not. Episode fifty seven. Apple Podcast, Spotify, MitchUnfiltered.com. And I'm not going to ask you why I say that every single show because you've pointed out. The but I always say that, so I'm not going to do it this time. I'm just going to go right by it. Yeah, you always say you're supposed to say it. Yes, yeah, I'm right. not going to do that gotcha. this time. Moving on. Uh, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Mitch Unfiltered. It is episode number 57. Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, Seahawks insider from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on episode 57. Great. Uh, Rick Neuheisel is back, and, and Neuheisel and Henderson are both presented by Fireside Home Solutions. Steve Phillips, my guy, the GM, the former – Mets GM, great voice of Major League Baseball is going to be with us as well on episode 57. we got a stretch run to talk about in Major League Baseball. Uh, Memo, the Mariners are not really involved in the stretch run. Oh, that's too bad. Okay. But but what does piss me off as kind of a a Mariners fan for the last 25 years, and I will talk to Steve about this. I don't know if it bothers anybody else. Why is it that every year the Mariners are out of it and the Oakland A's who spend no money on their payroll are always in it? are always right in the middle things. I guess Moneyball, right? Is that it? I guess. <laughs> I, I need know. some answers. Yeah. Why is it that they can play, the A's can play in front of 5,000 a night, spend no money on their roster, you know, just have terrible conditions around that team, yeah. and yet be in the race and 25 games over 500? Every It seems like every year they're in the race, and it bothers me. Well, the, the Angels don't bother me. The Rangers don't bother me. The Yankees don't bother Nobody else bothers me except the A's seem to know how to overachieve. And God love us, we don't know how to overachieve in Seattle. No, we sure don't. But we got to find a kid who's throwing at one of those those pitching machines. You know, Didn't they just sign a guy who was throwing the to see how fast he could throw it? Yeah. That's, the guy, that's, that's how you they do signed it. him. That, right. Yeah, that's yeah how they you signed him right out, right out of like Colorado. I think he was like on one of those machines. Hey, can you put the nachos he down? Paid, and he sign paid this? five bucks for five balls. It's <laughs> a good deal. Huh? Five, five throws, five bucks. Signed a contract. Great deal. And not only are we going to have Brady Henderson, Rick Neuheisel, and Steve Phillips on episode fifty-seven, but I'm going to surprise. I'm going tech on you. Are you? I am going tech on you. There's a guy named Dave Smith who's going to be on with us. He's the editor of Business Insider, and I want somebody to explain. The cell phone industry, Apple's <laughs> dominance, the iPhones, why everybody uses iPhones, yeah. and if it's just a big joke. I need I need somebody officially from the business world to kind of define what it is that Apple did has, has done like the last 12 or 15 years and why nobody, you know, it's it's the way of the world, I thought, in business, that when somebody kind of comes along and is the king of the hill for a long period of time, ultimately... Somebody else comes along and develops something else, and then they become the fat. They become the chic pick, right? Or like, so there's always a Pepsi to Coke. Is that what you're saying? There's always- No, I'm saying that I would have thought that if Apple started its dominance in 2007, okay, we'll give them 2007 to like 10, 11, oh, 12. I see. How is it nobody has come around and said, <laughs> okay, enough with Apple. We'll come up with this. This is going to be the, the, the newest thing. Like Motorola. 
I don't hear Motorola being talked oh, about yeah. much anymore. The razor they phone, be, remember? They, they used to be the <laughs> yeah. big thing. Somebody came and why doesn't anybody yeah. come come along after 12 years and knock Apple off its pedestal? It's a great I question. I want to know. Who knows? We're going to get the answer today. I like. Oh, really? I like it. I don't know. We're going to get the answer. <laughs> I mean, Samsung's trying. Samsung's, but yeah, they are no Apple when it comes to phones. I just, it's, it's amazing. It's crazy. Yeah, there's always like, a, you're right. There's like always like a, Somebody a new else, boy a new in town. Yeah. yeah. Where's yeah. the new boy? <laughs> I think you and I should quit the podcast and become the new boy. What should we name it? Worst phone tomato? ever. You and I in charge of it. We'll, we'll put together the tomato. God. We'll beat Apple with the, with the tomato. So we're going to have Dave Smith on episode 57. And I'm going to do it to you again before we start, before we actually start the show. Okay. I did this two shows ago. I'm going to cross you up before we actually begin. All right. Two shows ago, I started with like sentimentality on episode like 55. Do you remember what I did? Was it the, the tennis story? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Are you doing it again? I'm doing it again. Oh boy, okay, I'm ready. Is that no good? Should I not start the show with sentimentality? No, I think it's fine. I'm feeling a little emotional in my old age. Yeah, I, I, I felt like I'm starting to become more emotional as I became a parent. I think I don't, that's see, when it hit me. So you seem the same way that I remember you as a kid. Like, I, like you just... You don't know you, I you cry s- myself to sleep every night. You scoff at everything that I bring up that's really nice and touching. You scoff at it. Like, scoff oh, at it. Oh, come on, Mitch. Come on. Enough of that nonsense. I think it's a defense mechanism because I'm dead inside, so that's how I hide it. Are you it. really? No, I don't know. <laughs> I cry. I, I find myself crying over everything. Like, oh, really? Over everything. Yeah. I cry over everything. I cry over things that my kids do. I cry in movies. I cry when I see sad or emotional stories. I cried. I told you that Naomi Osaka tennis story. I don't know if people, yeah. people know by now what I'm talking about, but two, go back two segments, two, uh, two podcasts ago, and you'll see what I said. I'm going to start. I know the Seahawks had a huge win. I know that the Washington Huskies and the Cougars are flying high. Yeah. And, and, and everybody, and there's a ton of sports news, and there's baseball, and there's all kinds of the stuff. Football, football. weekend, for yeah. God's sake. I'm, st- I'm going off the map. I'm start- Before we start the show, I'm, ta- right. I'm, ta- I'm starting with something sentimental. I'm ready. I cried again from. And I think, I think my issue is that we spend so much time. You even said it on episode, what was it, 56P. Hey, by the way, patron shows, 56P. If you're not a patron, you're missing out. That was a good show. That was a good show. Yeah, I listened. We did a fantasy football league show after that. That's right. Then I did a gambling show. I made some people some money who are patrons. Lots of extra content on the patrons. I never, I didn't, uh, I didn't update that. Uh, so you go to patron, you go to the uh, MitchUnfiltered.com website, click on become a patron. For five bucks a month, you get all the extra programming throughout the course of the week. Uh, and also uh, become a follower of the Mitch Unfiltered Facebook page. But anyway, I, I think you mentioned on 56P, do we have to talk about Antonio Brown? <laughs> I just was like over it. Yeah, I'm just can like we, done. You're like, can we do a podcast with now Antonio Brown on Sunday actually suited up for the Patriots, caught touchdowns against the Miami Dolphins, wore a stupid number 17. I don't, I don't like that at all. You know me and numbers. Yeah. Antonio Brown. Receiver, and I weird. think that's the least of his issues. <laughs> what yeah. number that he's wearing. <laughs> right. But but where I'm going with this is we, we spend so much time talking about Antonio Brown, and there are so there is so much attention, Scott, to the knuckleheads of sports that makes us sometimes – like Antonio Brown, after a while, I don't know if you get to this point, I find myself asking myself, self, why do I even love – I mean, with guys like this, yeah, why do I even love sports? I mean, it really takes away from the enjoy. Guys like Antonio Brown, there's a million other examples. Sure. Really kind of take away from the enjoyment. And you need something. You need the Naomi Osaka's to pull you back, to right. remind. It's kind of like, now you're not a golfer, but golfers will get this analogy. When you're playing a crap sandwich round 
whether you're a 20 handicap or a, a plus three, whether you're a pro or a 25 handicap, when you go out to play golf and you have one of those rounds where you're just shit okay. for like 13, 14, and you're like, I don't even why, I don't even enjoy this. Why do I even do this? <laughs> right. You know what inevitably happens? I think I know. You're like birdie 18. Oh, gotcha. You hit like two great shots at 18. You yeah. knock in the putt and you're like, Oh, I, was I gonna, love this game. Uh, yeah, I was going to say you just hit one good drive or one good that's shot. A, that's the same analogy. And it sort of sucks you back that's in. That's right. And like, it's, yeah. It typically happens on the last hole, <laughs> right. and it brings you back. Well, <laughs> right. I'm going to bring you back from Antonio Brown and Knuckleheads. That's what I think the Naomi Osaka thing does. It brings you back and reminds you why you like sports. Because yep. I thought that was like the greatest display of sportsmanship and humanity and humility that I, I had ever seen in sports, what she did. Well, here's another example. It doesn't quite, to me, reach that level. But this brings me back from my Antonio Brown doldrums. Gotcha. The University of Georgia football crowd in Athens, Georgia. Do you know the story? I don't. Good. I'm, I was hoping. I didn't send you this because I didn't want. I wanted you to hear it from me if you hadn't heard it. Okay. You don't know the story. I don't. The University of Georgia on Saturday played Arkansas State. In a non-conference game where we always ask the question, why do we why do we put up with that bull, you yeah. know what? It's like their preseason, It's ridiculous. Yeah. The SEC, I mean, everybody does it, but the SEC plays two or three, one or two, just cupcakes. I mean, ridiculous. Why does anybody pay to go to a game like that? Well, let's put that aside for a second. Arkansas State, and I'm sorry, we haven't even started the show 57. We're about to start the show. But Arkansas State is coached by a guy by the name of Blake Anderson. Okay. Arkansas State is. Arkansas okay. State. They're playing Georgia. Okay. Georgia's like a 35, 40 point uh, favorite. They're going to beat them 50. They end up beating them 55 nothing. Yeah. Blake Anderson, the coach of Arkansas State, lost his wife to cancer. You're shaking your head because you now know the story. Well, you just I, didn't know where I was going. I knew that that happened to the coach of Arkansas State. Okay. Yeah. Wendy Anderson on August, I think it was 19th, at 49 years old, died of breast cancer. Had breast cancer years ago, thought they had it nailed, came back, died on August 19th. And in his first game back, after losing his wife and his soulmate for like, whatever, 25 years, his first game back was on the road at the University of Georgia. Welcome back, buddy. The whole crowd, Georgia crowd, wore pink and wore mm. her name. Uh, all it was all over the stadium. That's amazing. Every it was it was spread by the Georgia people, spread by ESPN, and the Georgia fans, the opposing fan, the the hometown fans, all came out. This guy came out into the stadium on on the road and saw like sixty thousand people wearing pink and wearing his wife's name. Now you you tell me when you tell me that that doesn't get you right yeah and i'm a little verklempt is that the right way to say yeah, that? Sure, yeah sure no that's that's super touching it really is it's amazing and i i love those stories though and i think that's why it does keep bringing us back do you know that the iowa and i'm not not to get away from your story but another one that hit me recently was there's a hospital near the iowa uh, football stadium and they purposely built it so it's like a children's hospital so kids can look into the stadium and watch the oh, game oh my god right so at the same time i think every time on the third quarter the fans are they all get up and turn around and they wave to the kids at That's the children. Nice. It's 
I love these kinds of stories, so I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. That really, like, choked me up when I saw it. Like, the 60,000 people waving to the kids who are stuck in a hospital, it's, you know? That's super, that's super nice. And, and yeah. I, I never I never heard that. And I just I just wanted to start the show, before we started the show, yeah. by a tip of the cap to Athens, you know, rabid football right. SEC country. Now, of course, you know, they know they're going to beat Arkansas <laughs> State. I mean, we could joke about this if we wanted to. We yeah. could say, would they do it if it was an SEC coach's wife? I mean, we could have, we could have fun, but I'm not going to have fun with it. I'm just going to say that I don't ever remember anything like this. I'm watching, I'm, I'm 52 years old. I'm watching sports seriously for 40, 42 years. I don't remember an opposing team's crowd paying homage to the opposing coach and his wife like that. It was beautiful. It's very sweet. It was really, really beautiful. And with that, I, I, I'd i like to start 57, okay? If you don't have a rooting interest in the college football playoffs, well, now you do. You can root for Georgia, right? <laughs> or Arkansas State. Or Arkansas uh, I, State. I don't think they're getting it. That, that, that loss really cost them. <laughs> That's right. They were on the bubble, weren't they? All right, four good guests, all right? All right. So a fun 57 coming up, brought to you by Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest, always innovating Evergreen Golf Call. The new Evervestment program allows normal people like you and me to get the same expertise that Evergreen offers their high net wealth investors, evervestment.com. Zeke's Pizza, now in Woodenville, 17 locations, and I think we have to do a viewing party for the Seahawks and Saints game on Sunday. We'll get the pizza bar going, craft beer, root our Hawks to 3-0. and We have 17 spots to choose from, for goodness sake. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler with four all-time locations, each providing subtly different ambiances, but that same world-class service and the best steaks anywhere. Lesheim Arena, South Lake Union, atop the world at Bellevue Place, and the newest jewel downtown at the brand-new Hyatt Regency. There's just no place like Daniel's for special occasions. And the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage, more and more families taking the opportunity to save money on a refinance of their home. You're going to hear from my executive producer, Steve Dion, later in the show. Let Jordan Flowers' team at Guild Mortgage in Kirkland help you. Three top 1% brokers alone in the Kirkland office, 425-250-3150, 425-250-3150, episode 57. is going to be fun with the win over the Steelers starts now. Unfiltered. Just a million guys don't want to play on that team anymore. Popovich is the coach. He's all grumpy. But, I mean, do you blame him? If you break the NBA down to superstars, perennial all-stars, all-stars, and good players. This team is, with a few exceptions, good players. Mason Plumley's on the team. Mason Plumley tried to get a ticket to the All-Star game. He can't even go. Unfiltered. Everybody said it around the country. This guy, Kyle Lewis, is going to be on the Mariners. He's going to go through the minor leagues like this. He's going to be a star. He's going to be in the big leagues really quickly. You're gonna. He is going to be a superstar. And in the first like week or month of his professional career he had this catastrophic collision with a catcher like an Everett and he blew out his knee and he's never been the same and it's been torture and he struggled and he struggled to get healthy and all of us finally at least for a September call up he was playing in double A they called him up and he had a home run the other night Mitch is unfiltered
Okay, Hot Shots, Scott, episode number 57. I don't know. Episode Francisco Rodriguez. You're not a baseball guy. F-Rod, one of the better closers. Not a, uh, He might be a Hall of Famer someday. I don't okay. know. Uh, I think he set the record way back when for most saves in a year. I think that's probably since been broken. Anyway, Francisco Rodriguez wore it. Tom Jackson, TJ, oh. you know him more from ESPN yeah. than, because you're probably we're all probably not old enough. I'm old enough to remember him, him and as a linebacker for the Denver Broncos. Well, he wore 57. He was a really good linebacker. Seahawks fan, so I remember Tom Jackson. Yeah, as a he Bronco. wore 57. Yeah. Uh, Clay Matthews wore 57. I think Browns. both. I think both father and son, or uncle and son. You'd have to go back. Yeah. Doesn't Clay Matthews, the son, wear or? Isn't there a Clay Matthews that did he wear for the Packers fifty-seven? The Packers, and now he's now he's on some other team making yeah. making. I think he's on the Rams. I think it is the Rams. Yeah, is he on the Rams or the? Yeah, I think you, I think I saw him on Sunday with the Rams. I always thought he wore fifty-seven. Clay Matthews was fifty-six, but maybe not. No, no that's not right. Okay. Oh, you mean the the, the old man? Yeah, the old he man. might have been. Okay. Clay Matthews, the young guy with the long blonde yeah, yeah. hair, he's fifty-seven. Gotcha. Johan Santana mean anything to you? The, the Minnesota Vikings, yeah. uh, Minnesota, Minnesota Twins. <laughs> I'll, I'll edit that out. Minnesota Twins. <laughs> Who's not the baseball guy now? Uh, Minnesota, yeah, Minnesota Vikings. Vikings. <laughs> uh, he was a good left-hander. Yeah, really won good. the Cy Young. He sure. wore fifty-seven. One of my favorites. And I think I'm going to probably just go with this at the end. I'm just going to veto everybody, even though he probably doesn't deserve it, just because a Dolphins – we need to throw a little Scooby snack to Dolphins fans. Oh, can we please throw a – can sure. I get a Scooby – you know what I call them now? The Elfins. No D or O. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> the Elfins, that's good. Should make a shirt. <laughs> no D or O. Oh, you laugh to keep from crying. It's rough. 43 nothing after 59-10. They've only been outscored – what is it – 102 to 10 in the first two games. Well, at least they got 10. Do you remember their center, Dwight Stevenson? Yes, I do. He wore 50. Hall of Famer, one of the greatest centers of all time. In fact, he got hurt in a really freak injury, a knee injury that pretty much ended his career. People were saying at the time that he got hurt, a few more years of that, he was already a Hall of Famer, that he would be considered like absolutely 100% the greatest center in the history of the NFL. So this is probably going to be... feels like we're leaning towards him. (laughs) Yeah. The do you remember Dwight Stevenson? Yes, yeah. I do. Yeah, he's a good, he's a good player. So they're, they're, those are the uh, boy. Fifty seven is rough. What are you saying about Dwight Stevenson? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, where do I begin? Uh, I know the Seahawks uh, uh, had a great, a great effort, a great win in Pittsburgh. Um, some of the other stuff, real quickly. Dolphins. Drew Brees is coming here. Saw that. Yeah. Probably with a maybe a broken hand Did or you a broken. See it? I saw the Ooh. I saw the play and I saw him trying to throw and then I saw him with a cast on and I saw that he's having a specialist look at it this week in Los Angeles. You know, you hate to cheer for injuries and I don't do that. I don't cheer for injuries, yeah. but once they happen and you remember that the Saints are coming here, this is one of the most durable quarterbacks in the history of the NFL and on the week before you play him when you're 2 and 0 and you come back home feeling good. Doesn't hurt. Teddy Bridgewater. <laughs> well, look, I would have been happy. I'm all about Teddy Bridgewater. But, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger went out in the Seahawks game, and they won by two. So, I don't know. And what when he went out, they were ahead. The Steelers were ahead at halftime, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think they were. Ten to seven. Yep. I mean, they barely beat the backup for the Steelers. Anybody so. crying that we're not, we may not see Drew Brees here <laughs> nah, on Sunday? I'm sure not. I'm sure that he's going to oh. try to play, but yeah. Do you see how he did it, though? He hit, what did he hit? He hit somebody's hand or hit somebody's helmet? Yeah, as he was throwing, his hand went into um, the defensive lineman, the stud for the Rams, yeah. right into Aaron his, Donald. Aaron Donald. Yeah, well, Aaron Donald's always there. Went, yeah, right. Went, yeah. Just smacked right, right into, into his, his hand. And then he's walking off and it's bent all weird. <laughs> yeah. 
I remember when I was like 19, I, this was like the worst pain I ever had in my life. I was in a snowball fight, and I, w- I went to throw one at someone as hard as I could, and my car door was open, and on the way down, I smacked my finger on the, oh on the door, and it really hurts because you're not expecting anything to stop your hand when you throw something, so yeah. I could see that being really yeah. painful, man. Were you Sorry, playing man. a big game the next day, the next week? <laughs> you, I sure wasn't. <laughs> Kyler Murray uh, becomes the first quarterback since who? Trivia question. I like it. To throw for 300 yards or more in his first two rookie NFL games. It's, it's not Marino because no, it's Marino not. didn't really play. get off till 84. Well, that's right. Yeah. He, well, he didn't play. His 48 first TDs games. in 84. I remember. Yeah. yeah. Actually, 54, but who's counting? Is that 54? Including the playoffs. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Boy, it could be any. I don't know. Peyton Manning, it could be a, one of many. Is it my least favorite guy threw for over 400 in his first two games and he hasn't I don't think he's thrown for 300 since. Oh my gosh. Cam Newton. Is that right? Threw for 432 and 422. I would have guessed 50 in his guys first two games. before getting to Cam little Newton. Kyle, Amazing. Little Kyle Kyler Murray throw for good. 308 and three. they lost but Patrick okay here's the greatest maybe the greatest quarter in quarterbacking history. Do you see what happened on Sunday? Patrick Mahomes they played the Oakland Raiders, right, That's on right. the road. Mm-hmm. I watched a little of that game. A little baseball stadium in the middle of the field. Terrible. <laughs> it it kind of reminds me of my childhood, though. I kind of like it. Most teams did have that Right. Back and in the I day. was telling my wife, like, yeah. stadiums were expensive. They had yeah. to share. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Marino used to play on a, uh, on a dirt infield the first four or five weeks of the season back in the day. What was the team? It was the Miami Marlins. Oh, really? Yeah. Back then? Yeah. He, he played when they moved into Joe Robbie, when the Marlins drew. Yeah, the first four or five weeks. I hated it. He yeah. used to drop back to pass and, and, <laughs> and set up on dirt. Patrick Mahomes, second quarter. 278 yards and four touchdowns in one wow. quarter. Yeah. Uh, he didn't really, well. People don't care about fantasy, <laughs> but I thought he would get picked a little higher in our fantasy draft. Well, he's the first quarter, but no one wanted to pick quarterback. Yeah, I mean, look, look what he's doing. He's 278 amazing. yards Jeez. in one quarter. Yeah, that's not, not too shabby. By the way, are you a little – remember how we talked about the Browns losing and we kind of chuckled? Did, did you feel like you were supposed to, like, think the Raiders were going to be good this year too? Did you kind of like it when the Raiders well, that's lose? that's every or, year, isn't it? Right. Everybody but, loves when the Raiders lose. The Raiders are just like... But you're, they're supposed to be good every year. I feel like I Gruden and Carr, yeah, and here we go. You know? Yeah, but I don't think anybody's buying that anymore. Goodbye. Like, the Browns thing is a brand new, they're going to be good. Yeah. This is the first year everybody said they're going to be good, so we all bought it. Right. Like, the Raiders thing, how many times can you get yeah. hit over the head with a, with a, with a stick <laughs> yeah. before you know, okay, I'm just getting hit, hit over the head with a stick? I don't think anybody buys the Raiders yeah, anymore. But yeah, there were when Gruden... Yeah, but, but yeah, I just wanted to point out that... Oh. Uh, 270, and then there were the the beloved Seattle Seahawks, which we're obviously going to talk a lot about with Brady Henderson coming up in our next segment. He joins us from Pittsburgh, and we wrap it up, wrap it up and preview the Saints game. But uh, how about winning a game in Pittsburgh that no, I didn't think they were going to win. Now, the, the game went differently, and Roethlisberger got hurt, and the running back got hurt, but who cares? They went to, they went to Pittsburgh. They came out with it. They've now played two games. They've won one of them by one. And one of them by two, but they are two and zero, and nobody cares. That's right. And I, but I said last week on the show, I don't see any scenario where the Seahawks go to Pittsburgh and win. But this is why we. Well, love there's sports, always right? the injury scenario, right? Do yeah. you think? 
Do you think the Seahawks would have won had Roethlisberger played in the second half? Now, the other guy was okay. I thought he was a little better than okay. He looked good to me. I thought he hit like nine in a row. He threw one. The first pass he threw was so great down the side. It jumped off the guy, and, we, and yeah. the McDougal intercepted it. The poor guy, can't. Dante Moncrief, he can't, can't catch a ball, can't yeah. catch a cold. But I, I don't know. I don't know whether they would have won or not had Ben Roethlisberger stayed in it. And there, I, I, I felt like, I felt like their defense, which played so great in the first half, didn't play as well. The Seahawks' defense did not play as well in the second half. And I just, I, I, I I'm thrilled. I, I'm just thrilled that they come back to Seattle, two and zero after beating the Steelers. I, I did not think that they would win. Yeah, there's crazy things that happen in sports, especially in football when there's injuries, but. We talked a while back that I, if they go three and three, I said if they go three and three in the first six without Jaron Reed, I'll take it. I'll sign up for three and three. There's two yeah. and zero. Oh. That's all that matters and oh. right now. Two and zero. Oh. Great. And now you're probably recalibrating and thinking, okay, they won a game that I didn't think they were going to win. So now maybe if I had them ten and six, I got them eleven and five. Or if I had them nine and seven, <laughs> I had right. them ten and six. You love those games that you chalk that you circle as losses before the season. Was there any question that? Had they not gotten a first down on the final drive, that's the Steelers were coming down. To, or am I just a negative Nelly? No, they, they were, Steelers were going to win. 29-28, yes, right? Yes, they were going to win. The game was over. Yep. They had to go for yep. it on fourth down, right? And yep. they and they. And no, I guess if they kicked the field goal, you would have made the Steelers have to score a touchdown. But in my mind, on that final drive, I don't know how you were thinking. Yep. I don't know how you approach a game. Well, there was just no question that they had to hold the ball until the end of the game. If they gave up, I didn't care whether it was a backup quarterback, <laughs> a third string. Right. There was just it's just the way it goes. You're going to lose the game, twenty nine to twenty. It did feel that way, especially after that that fumble. What a crusher! Absolute crusher. You know what I have in my notes about that fumble? It's the reason why I should have picked the ballet over football when I was a kid. <laughs> right. There it is. Yeah, I know. It just, it just, I know. Inexplicably, right? But you remember just, I talked I about – I got to be tormented by that. They had the game in their hands. Right. The game was over. Like five and a half left or something. The game was over. Yeah. And he tries to – and he hands it off. The ball goes flying. And before you know it, it's a ball game again. And I'm going to put that on the offensive line. Because the guy was in there so quickly. Yes. It's on the offensive line. It's not really the running back's fault. He never really had it. It's yeah. not the quarterback's it's fault. It's an exchange though. issue. Yeah, but that was Chris Carson's second one of the day. Yeah, Chris. Chris and I've been telling you, the ball. we got to get the the pad level down a little bit. He's a little high when he runs, and people come in and they punch it. And if he can just get he's down a, little a little bit of bit. a fumbler. I, I don't know, but you're not blaming him on that play. Not on that one necessarily. The other but, one you blame him, and he does one, fumble yeah. a little bit. But God Almighty, can you overlook? I mean, I you can't overlook a lot of fumbles when it comes to a running back, but. How hard does he run? How many tackles does he break? How does yeah. he catch the ball now out of the backfield? I love him. And it just you just got to love that guy. And yeah, it, it sucks when when that happens, but on that fourth and one comes with the good. On the fourth and one they didn't lose confidence in him, right? They gave it to him and he got picked up the first down, so he sort of redeemed himself. So why did they win the game on Sunday? Is there one Yes. One reason? Yes. And his last name is Wilson. Was he unbelievable or not? 29 out of 35, 300 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, the thing that stands out to me the most is it's third and three. All I got to do is pick up three yards. Russell Wilson throws it down the field to a rookie wide receiver for a touchdown. Like, to me, that's Russell Wilson in a nutshell. He could have thrown a five-yard pass, pick up the first down, keep – nope, I don't care. I'm out here to win. 
and he threw it to a, a rookie and scored a touchdown. That is Russell Wilson to me. You know, I don't think statistically this was Russell Wilson's greatest day. It was a very good day. What was he 300 yards? 300 three yards, touchdowns? three touchdowns. A really, really good yeah. day. It's not going to go down like when his career is over, people are going to forget the Pittsburgh game of 2019. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I just want to say this. I was as imp- – I, I don't want to use hyperbole. I, I thought he was magnificent. I thought that considering the circumstances, considering – now, I was surprised to see that when the running stats were all finished that they had five yards of carry. But it seemed to me the whole game that the running game was really not a huge issue. There were some big plays. The penny play yeah, the penny was a big play. Big. And there were a couple Chris Carson runs like on first and 20 early in the game. Right. That were big. But for the most part, he had no running game. And let's say it right now. He had no right side of the offensive line. The right side, yeah. poor DJ Fluker and, of course, Jermaine Effetti, who's never any good. The right side of the offensive line was like Swiss cheese from the beginning. They had no chance. Sack, sack, Holding, sack. holding, holding, blowing <laughs> up running plays, holding, holding, blowing oh. up passing plays. So he had very little run game, I thought. He had no protection, really, from the right side. That's right. He had... And he had this game in front of him on the road, and yet, and I'm going to give some credit to a guy that I don't like giving credit to, but in this show I'm going to do it so people don't tell me I've never done it. Okay. Brian Schottenheimer, they adjusted, they got the ball out. They started with that quick, yep. short passing game, the little, really, he didn't hold the ball at all, just snap quick, the little tight end, the little God. intermediate stuff that they did over and over. Pittsburgh never really adjusted on defense, and he just nickel. and I know that there were some long balls, like so, there were some some great long balls that he threw that were just unbelievable. Yeah. One to the rookie, DK oh. Metcalf, that was just right on the butt. Yeah. He wasn't even open on that play. Right. But for the most part, his three, and it's the reason why he had 36, 35 attempts for 300 yards. For the most part, it was just boom, fast, boom, little six, four, five, six, seven. Tyler Lockett 10 times really quickly. You know, tight ends, Will Disley really quick. I thought, and then to, to put the cherry on the Wilson, the cherry on the Wilson Sunday, he decided to run at the right times late in the game. We talked about that. He, If it's the 12th game or later, he'll run more, or if the game's on the line, he'll run. He has not been running in the last few years <laughs> yep, as much as he used that's to. That's right, but, but, he but in this, he has to. He did, he, on Sunday against the Steelers, not only was he magnificent with the short throwing game, not only did he, ever, he was just so pinpoint accurate. He just, he just, he had the game in his fingertips, and then when they needed him most on that last drive, and he, he was willing to tuck the ball in when he hadn't really run it all day and tuck the ball in and go up the middle. One slide, I thought he hurt yeah, himself, so was awkward. Yeah. But, but And one slide, he could have gotten the first down at the very end if he had gone head first, but he yeah. went foot. So you can, you can pick apart anything you want to pick apart. Yeah. But I just thought, here's the reason why you pay this guy $35 million That's exactly right. This is the reason. Yep. This is the game that you just don't win <laughs> – that's Without right. Russell Wilson, you don't. No way, you don't win that game. Yeah. And is he is that game worth two and a half mil, two million, two hundred thousand dollars? That's what he got. He got paid two million for that effort. Jeez, not a, a little bad bit more, a little more than two million for that effort. God. And they just, you know, that's just that. That's why in the NFL you've got to pay. You're a prisoner of a great quarterback. If you've got a quarterback who makes a play like that and makes game games like has games like that. Yeah. I mean, that could be at the end of the year. Well, you will remember that could be the difference between nine and seven, and maybe not making the playoffs, and ten and six, or ten and six and eleven and five, or getting a home field game, or getting a bye. All of that. That that's the type of performance. That's why you pay 
Russell Wilson, 35. I just thought he was, and I'm the, I'm the, I'm not. I'm not gun shy in taking him on when I think he has bad games, and I will throughout yeah. the course of the season. I'm not one of these guys who's just a blowhard for Russell Wilson and blow smoke up his ass. I will. I'm happy to call call him out when he doesn't have a game. that game. He was. I thought he was brilliant, right on the money. There wasn't anything even close to something up for grabs. It was just fantastic. I saw a stat and I didn't bring it because I thought it was a little nerdy. But it's funny you sort of mentioned it. Today, he held the ball for like... When? I saw a stat today after the game, but I, I didn't today? bring it. You yeah. sure it was today? No, it was uh, It was when the Seahawks played on Sunday, I yeah, think it okay, was. Yeah, okay. Just want to make sure you got that. But he, he got rid of the ball, or he held the ball for the shortest amount of time. Any quarterbacks held a ball when they throw it yeah. in like 10 years. It was like 1.9 seconds. That's like what you were talking about. Yeah. In the second half, they adjusted. He didn't even hold it for half a second. He yeah. just get it and fire. It wasn't even in the second half. It was in the second quarter. If you go back to that game and watch the film about... Midway through the second quarter, including the last drive where they didn't come up with the field goal. He missed the field goal yeah. 58 because they had a, a course of penalty. There was, I think it was a hold on Jermaine Effetti or something that sent him back, and they missed the field goal to tie it at the half. If you go back to the second quarter, something happened, and I'll give Schottenheimer because I love to criticize Schottenheimer because I think I could do a better job. Yeah, everyone does, I right? love to criticize Schottenheimer. <laughs> Somebody did something right and identified. Okay, here's they're bringing blitzes from certain places. Yep. We're just gonna pepper that that part of the field. And they someone's just, gonna be open. Let's and they find just them. threw these little yeah. quick catch it and throw it, catch it and throw. And I, there must have been fifteen of them. It was great. There must have been fifteen throws that he made that they didn't have a chance to get to the back, get to him in the pass rush. If Wilson gets the game ball from you. Who's second? Who gets the second game ball if you have to give a second one away for the Seahawks? I'll give a team second one because I think there were two reasons why the Seahawks won. Okay. And I'll talk to Brady Henderson about this in the next segment. I think there were two reasons. The biggest one was, I think, number three. He just won the game for him. No doubt. I, I thought, And with all of his heroics, you and I are both sitting here in agreement. I don't know whether the people listening to the podcast agree. With all of his heroics, they don't win the game unless he – is great in the final drive. He was great up to the final drive, and if they have to punt that ball away, Pittsburgh's going down there to win 29-20. So he had to not only be great, then he had to be great in the final drive right. as well. Yeah. It wasn't a game-winning drive where you see him take him down for the game-winning points, but it was the equivalent of that yeah. because they had to ha- <laughs> keep the ball there. Yeah. But if you made me give another team another ball, it would be a team ball, and it's a group that I have been hard on. And it's kind of a backhanded compliment because I don't think they were particularly good in the second half, the secondary and the pass defense. But when the Seahawks offense, before they got to the point where Schottenheimer and Wilson identified, here's what we got to change to, they were in the game because of how well the Seahawks pass defense did against Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. Ben Roethlisberger threw for, I thought Ben Roethlisberger was going to throw for 400 yards in that game. He threw for 70 yards in the first half. Yeah, we saw what Dalton did the week before, and we were like waiting for Ben. In the first two or three or four drives, go back to the, they got three and outs, I think on the first, at least two, maybe three. At least two, yeah. Maybe three. And they got to him a couple, look, go back to those sacks. Those were not sacks like Jadavian Clowney beating his guy and, and being in Ben Roethlisberger's face right away. They were sacks because... He looked, he looked, no one was open. No one was open. Yeah. And I have right. been, I've been tough on that secondary and that pass defense. So my second game ball goes to the first half performance of the Seattle defense, in, particularly, in particular their pass defense in the first half, which I believe was the biggest reason they were in the game at halftime. If, they, if, if the defense isn't that good in the first half, 
that game could be 17-7. That game could be 21-7. That game could be 20 You could be down in a big hole at halftime, but the defense played very well. So who who, who did you want me to say I the second <laughs> ball? You were aiming at you were Yes, I was, because I have one too. But the Steelers yeah. did punt on their first three possessions, so there you go. Well, I don't know if it was three and out, though. Oh, gotcha. They may have gotten yeah, yeah. the first down. But we'll take the punt, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I thought Will Disley. Would, oh, wow. I mean, come yeah. on. Really? Who saw this coming? He was great last year for the minute that he played before he got hurt. <laughs> right. He was unbe- out of the University of- He wasn't even this good at Washington. Amazing. So happy for him. 50 yards. I think he had five catches, two touchdowns. Huge, Well, right? I, t- I tweeted during the game, uh, what did I say? Elway to Sharp, period. <laughs> uh, Brady to Gronk. Will Wilson to Will. Yeah, right. It's, just, it's one of the great quarterback tight end combinations of all time. I mean, what a great surprise if he can – he won't do this every week, but if he can be a guy that, he, that Wilson clearly can depend on, it's going to be great. Let's put it this way. Will Disley has now done more this year and last year yeah. in his brief Seahawks career than some guy named Jimmy Graham did Ugh. after they mortgaged the farm to get him. They brought him in here, and he just was an, an absolute, almost an absolute no-show. A little, Will cheaper, Dis- a little cheaper, too. Will Disley oh. or <laughs> Jimmy Graham, right? God. <laughs> it was amazing. It was do so you, happy for Do him. you remember him being any good at Washington? Was he an even, even any good? I, I mean, I guess he started. I, I just don't, I don't remember it. But the Seahawks had a backup tight end who got drafted one year to named Jeremy Brigham. I don't remember him at UW either, but he yeah. got drafted well, by the Raiders. Well, they've had a lot of tight so. ends over the years that have gotten into the NFL. Tight end right? U, baby. Tight end U. Is that what it is? I guess. That's well, what Will Disley, you. yes. Great yeah. job, buddy. Of course. I mean, okay. Yeah. I'll take my game ball away from the defense, and I'll give it to Disley. Is that what you want? That's so, fine. I, he would appreciate it, yes. Really? I was very happy for him, though. Yeah, he was really. Nothing he, to do with being a Washington fan. It was just so cool to see this guy. He's, he's, <laughs> he, oh, he took a hit, too. He took a huge oh, okay. hit. Okay, while you're talking about it, go ahead, finish Boy, your Well, he hit. took a hit and he held on to it. I mean, I just, yeah. I, I, he was solid today. Okay, can we, what's going on with the flip? Why did we not get a penalty on the helmet-to-helmet on Russell Wilson? I've been was tweeting that one of the, the refs mo- all day. I can't what, do it anymore. Was that one of the most flagrant, cheap shot, helmet-to-helmet, leading with yeah. the heads hits you and not a flag? If that guy doesn't get fined on Tuesday or Wednesday next week, I'm going to the ballet next weekend. It wasn't I'm even done. a penalty. I'm done with, How's I'm he going to get fined? Oh, he'll get fined. They do get fined. <laughs> even if it's not a penalty? Yeah, if, the, if, the official misses the, oh if the official misses the call, that doesn't preclude the NFL. from he will, this guy, That guy will get fined. Okay. I'm guaranteeing you that guy. But that was unbelievable. I, I, you know, if they're going to crack down on helmet to helmet, how do they not call? It was right in front of the guy, too. He was standing right there. I don't know how he missed it. Do you remember the the play where the receiver for the Seahawks like put two hands on the guy's back and got called for a block in the back? He basically was doing like touch football. He, he barely put his hands on him. That yeah. that gets called. Yeah. And but this helmet, bullshit but, doesn't. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> what are the refs I have doing? I will I will say this one other note before we get to uh, Henderson Brady Henderson, uh, Mike Ayupati. Mm. You probably didn't watch him. You probably didn't hear his name called. It was his I, first game as a Seahawks. I noticed him in the lineup, though, and I was like, boy, I wish it was 2012. Because Why? Because he was so good back <laughs> yeah, then? Yeah, he was good back then. He's pretty good. Did he look Sunday. okay today? Oh, what day? Did he look okay on Sunday? God he looked really good on Sunday. I'm going to go back and watch I don't know about today. Now. He's not playing today. No, no, today's Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. Got the day off, yeah. But, yeah. That's play, great. That's play, good news. It was. I have never seen a more stark contrast between one side of the offensive line and the other. Yeah. The left side, Brown and Ayupati, I thought played a very good game. The right side was just lost, completely lost. And then Fluker went out with the injury, and Posta came in and played pretty well. Yeah. And then Fluker came back, and Fluker had been really good, but Fluker, Fluker had to have his worst day as a Seahawk on Sunday against the Steelers. 
I don't get a Fetty. He keeps his hands outside. Even after he got called for it, I, I was watching him purposely. He's still because doing he can't, it. Because he can't block the guy. I guess. That's yeah. his only way. He's got to cheat. He, fi- he figures I'll grab him and they'll call it on, on me three out of ten times. The other seven, I'll get away with it. I thought Quentin Jefferson played well at the beginning too, and I, mean, I just remember thinking, like, well, again, what are we gonna, what would we do without this guy right now? He's really stepping up. Still on the waiting D-line. for that defensive line to be what we all thought it was gonna be. No Collier, no Ziggy, no Jaron Reed. I mean, God. Maybe week seven. Maybe week seven. Again, all right. three and three, and then we'll get them all back. But now they're two and zero. Oh, I don't think we want three and three anymore. Oh, we've just upped our bar. A oh little yeah. Bit. Oh yeah. Four. four Hell and yeah. Two. We don't want three and. You want one and three in the next four? I don't want it. You've but I, taken one and three I, in the next four. I want to be a man no. of my word. No, we're and not. Say I'll take no, three we're not taking. Three. No, no more. Okay. We fine. don't want. No. I never said that, and I'm not listening to that. Right. Uh, four guests today. Today, four guests on uh, episode number fifty-seven. I'll edit that out. Not yours. Uh, uh, episode fifty-seven. We'll have uh, four guests, including Brady Henderson. Uh, of ESPN and ESPN.com, and we'll get really inside the Seahawks as they get ready for the Saints. So, Hotshot, you've heard me talk about Evergreen Golf Call for months and the incredible success that Tyler Hayes' team in Bellevue, Portland, San Francisco, the Napa Valley have had growing money for their high-worth individuals. And you've said, like me, what about the common guy? How do we get involved? Well, Evergreen now has developed the answer. It's called Evervestment a digital investment platform that combines the ease of a robo-advisor with decades of proven investment experience. Using this online solution, you don't need to be a millionaire to get access to some of the same strategies that they use for their clients, all at a discounted fee. Evervestment combines the ease of a digital account onboarding with the benefits of an actively managed portfolio with decades of investment experience to back it. Evervestment also provides you access to actual human advisors if you need it, not some pop-up chat box on their website. So... Go to evervestment.com. It doesn't matter if you're not a millionaire. You can invest like one anyway. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. From the Steelers' 14-yard line, Wilson lobs one up to the end zone for a touchdown for the tight end, Will Disley. First trip inside the 20 for the Seahawks. Wilson to the end zone. There's Disley. His second touchdown today. Quickly back up to the line. It's Penny stutter step with Wilson leading the way. Rashad Penny inside the 10. Touchdown. Empty backfield. Wilson throws to the end zone. It is Metcalf for a Seahawks touchdown. Uh, it's a terrific win for, uh, for the franchise today. We're on the road like this and, and playing such a tough place. Um, a club that we're all, always concerned about when they got Ben on that side and the defense, the way they play, um, it just challenges you. And the fans were there and all that. Our guys hung in there. <clears throat> that was really important that we make this trip in particular because we got some more coming up and show our guys that we know how to do it. And we can we can go cross country and, and play in the morning and and, uh, and play good football. Really fired up just about this this start. And we, we have so much improvement. We have so many areas and ways we can get better. We're just getting one up. Uh, we'll get some guys back. We made it out pretty clean, um, which is great. So uh, that's a huge plus uh, going the next week coming home. 
Episode 57 continues. Fireside Home Solutions brings us the Brady Henderson chat after a big victory for the Seahawks in Pittsburgh. That's where Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com, Seahawks insider, Mitch Unfiltered insider after a two-point victory on Sunday for the Seahawks over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Before we get to the game, how's Pittsburgh, Brady? Your first time in in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, kind of a kind of an underrated city, a town, don't you think? It really is, yeah. And I, that was my thought. You know, even just flying in, you see the the topography and all the cool bridges and everything. And uh, yeah, it's a cool city. And uh, I'm a big Batman fan, and so I kind of nerded out <laughs> when I got to Heinz Field, and uh, I was at the scene, you know, the place where they they had that one scene where Bane blows up the stadium. So. Uh, yeah, kind of a nerd moment for me. How about the Seahawks win? I, there are a lot of people that had circled that one as one of the losses, so you've got now one in hand. We'll talk about how it happened. But you got one in your pocket that you didn't think you were going to get, right? Yeah, and I mean, you can look at, at the micro view of this game and, and look at all the things that they did wrong, from the penalties to the, the fumbles to the pass protection issues in the first half, uh, and think that, gosh, this is a flawed team. Or you can look at the fact that they're 2-0, and uh, having gone on the road and beat a team that, you know, at least at the beginning of the season, you thought was going to be uh, a playoff contender and a team, you know, with a good quarterback and Ben Roethlisberger. So um, that, that view looks pretty good for the Seahawks, just being 2-0. and You know, we've seen them start only and two uh, and still make the playoffs. In fact, they've done that twice under Pete Carroll, including last season. Um, they've started 2-0 and one time. It was when they won the Super Bowl in 2013. So wow. things are looking pretty good for the Seahawks, even though both of those wins have been pretty ugly wins where at times they haven't looked all that good. Yeah, we can give out game balls, a lot of a lot of individual performances that were worthy of note, but is there any bigger and brighter team ball than to the quarterback, the $35 million a year man? Right, he he. Uh, they don't win that game if if Russell Wilson isn't as good as he was. Pinpoint accurate, ran the ball at the right times, just uh, you know held the ball at the end so that Pittsburgh couldn't get it back with a chance to win. Did everything right. Was great on the long ball. Is there any were there, were there any flies in the ointment of Russell Wilson on Sunday? No, I mean I'm thinking of one you know sort of back shoulder fade that he missed to DK Metcalf, but when that's like the only thing that you do wrong for an entire game. Uh, that's pretty good. And, you know, I was looking up the, the numbers afterwards. It was, you know, that he went 29 of 35 for 300 yards. That was just barely the best completion percentage uh, of his career in any game he's ever had in his career, uh, at least regular season. And, uh, you know, the way they did that was it was a lot of short passes in the second half just because in that first half it looked a lot like it did last week when he was just, uh, you know, kind of had guys in his face really did not have a chance uh, with the pass rush breaking down and a lot of blitzes that Pittsburgh was throwing at him that they weren't able to pick up. Uh, so four sacks in the first half, they really shifted. Brian Schottenheimer kind of shifted. Pete Carroll gave him credit for this afterwards uh, and going to more of a quick passing game. So that's why you saw him uh, rack up all those completions, why you saw Tyler Lockett finish with as many catches as he did, 10, uh, which was a career high for him. Uh, really saw them shift what they wanted to do and not coincidentally didn't have a sack uh, in the second half. So, uh, but even aside from that, Wilson was, uh, that was just as good as I think we've seen him. Um, I don't know if that was his best game, but I also can't really think of another one that was, uh, that was all that much better. And, uh, you know, the, the, the pass to DK Metcalf was just exactly where, 
that needed to be, and it came right after, yeah, right after, I think a couple plays after he took a pretty nasty hit to the head uh, on a play that was not flagged. So, yeah, Wilson was pretty good today. Fireside Home Solutions brings you uh, Brady Henderson, the Seahawks win. Fireside Home Solutions reminds you that football season is fireplace season at firesidehomesolutions.com. Uh, Brady, when when you talk about the 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 rush and the, the offensive line performance in the first half, and it looked like it was going to be a long day for Russell Wilson and that and that run game. To me, it was kind of a tale of two sides of the line, though. The right side of the line was having all types of trouble, Fluker and Effetti. There were holding penalties. There were missed assignments. There was pressure. And yet the other side, Ayupati starts for the first time, and Brown is, is seemed to be as strong and as solid as ever. I, I didn't feel like they were having any problems on the left side of the line. Yeah, well, and, and the interesting part there is that a lot of their running success was was through the right yeah, side too. Yeah. You know, Carson had yeah. runs of I think sixteen and twenty one yards in the first half. They were both, you know, basically right off DJ Fluker's you know right hip there uh, on the right side there. So um, yeah, kind of a, a mixed bag for the offensive line, and you know maybe you kind of chalk that up to Pittsburgh just uh, in terms of the pass protection issues. Maybe you just chalk that up to Pittsburgh having a pretty good. Um, you know, a pretty good defensive front with, you know, some Pro Bowl-type guys there. Uh, but that is two weeks that, um, that you know, they've had some issues there. And I think I made the point last week that, um, you know, they made the adjustment there, that touchdown that they had to Tyler Lock on the first play of the fourth quarter. You saw them get Russell Wilson out of the pocket. Um, so that was an adjustment that they made, and I think it was earlier in this game that you really saw them make that big adjustment uh, and shift into that quick passing game. Did you think that they had to get that first down? Everybody in the world seemed to feel like if they don't get the first down there, if they take the three, they go for the long field goal, or they go for, or they punt the ball. They're not going to punt the ball, obviously. That they needed to go for it on fourth down. I know that there was a backup quarterback in for the Steelers, but and maybe it's just the way I view things. I'm such a passionate pessimist. It just felt to me like that was a, a, a make or break moment, and that they had to go for it on that fourth down. Did Pete Carroll talk about that? Well, he he talked about how he didn't seem like he didn't give the impression that there was much doubt that they were going to go for it, and um, you know in the press box I <laughs> I, I had some doubts uh, just because a you've got a, the kicker that you've paid a lot of money to in the off season to to make kicks like that. Um, you've also you know you also had you know, Carson's your best running back, but he had also lost two fumbles earlier in that game. Now, I know one of those was sort of a botched handoff that maybe was not completely his fault, but um, just with those two things, I, I didn't think it was a foregone conclusion that they would go for it, and you know, it was interesting. They, they, it looked like, I'd have to look back at the replay of this, but it looked like they lined up in a certain formation. I think Penny was even out there uh, initially, and then they called the timeout, and, and it looks like they you know, put Penny, or they put Carson in. Uh, Carroll said afterwards that they had lined up he said that they didn't change the play, but that they called the timeout because they had lined up improperly. Um, whatever it was, I'm, I'm not really sure what was going on there, but I, I wasn't sure what they were going to do. Um, and it does show a, a tremendous amount of faith in Chris Carson to go to him in that situation, uh, even after losing a, a, you know, a couple fumbles. But I guess uh, in one sense, um, you know, the fact that there is a, a, you know, a young quarterback on the other side, I'm sure that factored in to it, knowing that, hey, if you don't get this, you're still going to have to ask Mason Rudolph uh, to go, you know, whatever, 67 yards in under two minutes. So um, that was probably part of the thinking there. Do you feel like the Steelers would have won the game 
had Ben Roethlisberger not gotten hurt and come out and play in the second half? Yeah, no, that, that's that's an interesting sort of what if there. And you know, Rudolph, you know, one of those touchdowns they got was really a gift from their defense, which um, you know the, had the recovered the Carson fumble, nearly ran that back, and really set them up uh, on the doorstep. And then you know, Rudolph had that interception on the two point drive that was one of the, the sort of bigger yet maybe forgotten plays of that game to, to keep that a two point lead. And um, you know, talking with Lano Hill afterwards, he said. Uh, yeah, I just basically read read the quarterback's eyes that he was sort of locked on to the receiver uh, after going through you know a few progressions. He locked on to the guy, and, and Lano Hill said he, he just read it. So, um, yeah, maybe maybe that's a different story, certainly if, if Roethlisberger plays. And, uh, you know, Bobby Wagner had a couple interesting comments there saying that, you know, they really sort of had to, to simplify things, um, you know, just knowing that a guy like Rudolph is not going to make the checks at the line of scrimmage that, you know, a 17-year guy like Roethlisberger is going to make. How about the team's physical shape? What was your what was your BHI for Ziggy going into this game? 70-something percent, right? 74? Oh, yeah. We're, I'm going to have to take the BHI <laughs> to the shop because it has not been all that accurate over the first couple weeks, I must say. But I will, in, in my defense or in, in defense of the BHI, I have not seen too many guys uh, practice all three days including a f- being listed as a full participant on Thursday and Friday and still not play. And, you know, it was interesting. Pete Carroll sort of admitted afterwards um, that their thought late last week was that, you know, he, he didn't say this in so many words, but he basically said that, you know, they sort of made the determination that he wasn't going to play. Uh, and they made that determination late last week, even though he was listed as questionable. And it seemed like just based on what Carroll said Friday, that, that there was some hope that he would play. Um, so that, that's an interesting one, and I guess I just go back to, to what I was told a long time ago uh, when they signed him, that they were really, really going to take the long-term view with Ansa and figure, hey, yeah. we, you know, they, they want him for the long haul, even if it means missing a game or two. And I also wonder, Mitch, if part of that is the fact that, look, that pass rush got after Dalton last week uh, without – you know, without him there, you know, you've got Ziggy Ansah there. You've got some some pretty good complimentary guys there. So maybe they maybe that was sort of extra motivation to hold him out for one more. Aren't week. they playing with kind of house money? No Puna, no Ziggy. Obviously, no Jaron Reed until week seven. They've gotten through these first two games barely. Yeah, they're barely two and zero. They've gotten some good play on the defensive line. Uh, I'd like to hear what you thought of Collier in limited opportunities on Sunday against the Steelers, and 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 just the notion that. Maybe it's it's one of these things that we're going to be waiting for, waiting for, waiting for. That's never going to happen for one reason or another. Some guys are going to come back, and then other guys are going to be hurt, and we're never really going to see the lineup of and the rotation of defensive linemen. But it strikes me—I'll go back to the original point—strikes me that they're playing with house money on the defensive line right now. No, I, I agree with you, and it's such an interesting thing to to it's such an interesting reality for a team that you know what were we talking about two months ago is is how doomed the Seahawks pass rush looked like it would be. Uh, of course, that was before Clowney arrived. Before um, you know, you knew that that Ansa, you really didn't know what his status would be. Collier was down uh, with an ankle injury. He played today. Didn't really make a huge impact from what I saw. I'm, I'm looking at the stat sheet right now. I do not see his name in there, so I don't think he had a tackle. Um, but, no, I, I think they are still playing with house money there. Um, and a big part of that is, A, you've got Collier back now from the ankle injury that kept him out in week one. And also, some of those complimentary guys, 
are really turning out to be, uh, you know, they, they've been pretty productive those first couple games. You know, Quentin Jefferson has really shown his versatility. He started at end in the first game, started at defensive tackle uh, today. Brandon Jackson had a couple quarterback hits um, and a, a tackle for loss today, uh, which was a sack, I believe. And um, so those are two guys where, you know, for all we, we want to talk about, you know, Clowney and, and Ansa, um you know, and Reed, once he comes back, those guys can't do it alone. You need those complimentary guys to step up. And it's a pretty good sign for the Seahawks that, that so far they've had a couple of those guys step up. What kind of report card do we give the secondary in the game against Pittsburgh? Obviously, really, really good early. There were some PIs. There were some troubles. There were some penalties. And there were some chunks of yardage given up late. But overall, they come out with a win. And the, the passing game of the Steelers don't, you know, don't gouge them too much. What about the, what about the secondary? Yeah, no, I did certainly much better. And, you know, it was part of that. It was a different game plan than what you saw last week. You know, I'll go back to, uh, to, to, you know, some of what you saw last week against Dalton was, was game plan specific where they were really daring him to throw. That's why he ended up uh, with 51 attempts and part of the reason why he ended up with so many yards. But another part of the reason why he ended up with 418 yards was a couple of big uh, defensive breakdowns in the secondary that you did not see um, on Sunday. Now, they did have uh, that one flea flicker, I think 45 yards to Juju Smith-Schuster, and right. Lano Hill was right. in coverage on that play. Right. Um, I, you know, Talk about making amends for something like that, though. He comes up with that big interception on the two-point try, and uh, there just really wasn't you know the overall uh, breakdowns that they had last week, and it just seemed to be – you know, uh, seemed to be more solid play, and I really wonder if, if you're going to see Lano Hill, even if Tedrick Thompson comes back from that hamstring injury, I think you're going to see him uh, in the starting lineup. I don't know that for a fact, but um, I thought that, that, you know, he played well aside from that one that one play on the flea flicker. Fireside Home Solutions brings you the chat with Brady Henderson after the Steelers and the Seahawks go at it in Pittsburgh, and the Steelers or the Seahawks come out of there with a two-point victory and a 2-0 record barely. They are so close to being 0-2, and, and yet they're 2-0, and, and they will take it. I know that you're a Washington fan, uh, Brady. Will Disley. I just can't I, – I, I'm assuming that now I have to just take this seriously, that the the success that he had before the injury early in the year last year and now the success that we've seen and the camaraderie that he apparently has with Russell Wilson, he seems like a better tight end in the, the NFL than he was ever in college. I, I don't get how Disley has really kind of come onto the scene. Yeah, it's funny how that works. And, um, you know, I wouldn't, uh, I, I would guess that, you know, frankly, there's maybe some people with the Seahawks who are surprised that, uh, at least at the receiving aspect of it, you know, when they drafted him, he was a player that they felt, you know, they absolutely had to have him. They were going to come out of that draft with Will Disley at all costs, basically. Um, but that was because of, you know, they felt he was such a good blocker. Um, and he has been that, but he also has four touchdowns in six career games. Um, and you just did not see a, a whole lot. Of, you didn't see nearly as much of that at UW. In fact, um, I know some people at UW were surprised that the Seahawks drafted him in the fourth round because they just figured that a guy who was, you know, sort of billed as a blocking specialist maybe wouldn't go that high. But um, he is starting to, and this is maybe an unfair comparison for a guy early in his career, but 
when you think about recent tight ends, you know, recent complete all-around tight ends that the Seahawks have uh, have had, it's hard not to, to think of Zach Miller, a guy that was on that 2013 Super Bowl team, um, somebody who was a tremendous blocker and also somebody who could catch 50 passes in a season. So um, I don't know if Will Disley is going to ever hit that mark in this offense just as much as they run, but he is proving to be a much better receiver than a lot of people uh, thought he would be coming out of UW. So, Brady, in closing, it's, it's really incredible how things have worked out for the Seahawks so far in the first two weeks. They are oh so close to 0-2, and, and yet they're 2-0. and They get a huge break with Ben Roethlisberger not playing in the second half in the game at Pittsburgh. Then all of a sudden on Sunday, Drew Brees comes up with an injury, and he's one of the most durable guys out there. And at the time of this recording, it really certainly looks like he's not going to play for a while with that significant hand injury. All of a sudden, you get a chance to try to go 3-0 and at home against Teddy Bridgewater, who's not bad, but he's not Drew Brees. How about how things just seem to be falling right in the early season for the Seahawks? Yeah, and if you're listing the, you know, the good fortunes that the Seahawks have experienced over those first couple of games, you'd probably add to that that you know, A.J. Green didn't play in that first game uh, with his injury. So, um, yeah, it, yeah. It, this would be a pretty big break for the Seahawks. Now, you know, I will say that Bridgewater, that might be you know, the best backup quarterback in the NFL, or at least one of the best best backup quarterback so still you know a guy who has won a ton of games and is certainly capable of winning a game uh at Central league field but you are talking about you know the drop off from a hall of fame quarterback you know the drop off from that to, to any backup quarterback is going to be steep so um that's a pretty big break for the seahawks and, and again it goes back to the the macro versus micro view you can look at all the things that they've done poorly uh and the fact that they you know their two wins have come by a combined three points and, and maybe you freak out a little bit but um you know the fact is they're 2-0 and they've got a backup quarterback coming to Century League yeah. Field next week. So, well, yeah, so, you know, as well as they has, have finished under Pete Carroll, you know, we've seen them make the playoffs despite some 0-2 starts, and now they're 2-0, uh, you know, with a, a favorable situation next week. So, um, cannot imagine really things starting out a whole lot better, again, in terms of the, the bigger picture view for the Seahawks. Well, things have a way of evening out. That's the scary part. So, who knows what's next to happen in, uh, right. against the Seahawks' fortune. Brady Henderson from Pittsburgh, ESPN, ESPN.com, Seahawks Insider. The Seahawks are 2-0. Brady, thanks again. We'll talk to you next week. You bet. Thanks, Mitch. Talk to you later. 28-26, Seahawks go to Pittsburgh, steal a victory from the Steelers, get to 2-0, come home, face the Saints after 1 o'clock on Sunday. Brady Anderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, and of course, Mitch Unfiltered, Seahawks insider with the entire scoop. As a thank you to loyal customers, Daniels Broiler has launched a new rewards program that can be easily managed now from its own app. Here are the details. You can download the app at either the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. All you have to do is search Daniel's Broiler app. You can join Daniel's new rewards program for free. When you download the app, you can register to receive 100 free reward points. For every $500 you spend at any of the Daniel's, members will receive 20 bucks. For every $2,500 spent, reward members get an additional $20 prime reward in addition to the normal Rewards. So it's a simple goal for Daniels to thank and reward every loyal Daniels guest. So sign up today at Apple or Google, locally owned by the Schwartz family, South Lake Union, Leshaw Marina, Bellevue Place, the new downtown Hyatt Regency location serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Daniels Broiler, world class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Steps up, throws. 
Eason off the play action, strikes to Hunter Bryant, and he is gone. Touchdown Huskies. Another college football Saturday and weekend has come and gone, and I should call it a weekend, Rick Neuheisel, because my Cougar, my Cougar listeners have been very mad that I don't ask you, very angry that, you know, hey, you always talk to Neuheisel about the Huskies, and you always talk to him about the Pac-12, and you always ask him about the SEC, but you never talk about our Cougars who, on Friday night, went to Houston and start the season 3-0 and with a bullet. I think they're up into the top 20 now in college football. So so the Cougars are, are making a little bit of noise in the Pac-12. How about that Washington State team? I don't know, and and Mike Leach has been uh, on the radar in college football for some time. His quirkiness, his uh, ability to talk about pirate ships, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> Geronimo. He he, his list of things, uh, conversation topics is is a long one. But I don't know that his stock has ever been higher. He is absolutely on fire. This latest edition of uh, a leech air raid quarterback, Anthony Gordon, is fantastic. I watched the whole game on Friday night. I I came away so impressed. Uh, And maybe the most impressive piece of it, and I've seen Mike Leach's offenses many times, and they're they're beautiful in their simplicity. But what was struck me is the unbelievable depth and talent of their wide receivers, in particular – as pass catchers i never saw a ball dropped maybe one late that could have been but i thought it was it was more of a defensive play that got the ball out but you know maybe a heroic catch but i'm telling you and so i I, i'm not only pat mike leach on the back but i'm also going to give a little shout out to steve spurrier jr Mm -hmm. who coaches the wide receivers there because i i i've never seen him look as polished as they looked the other night and they're the real deal. I mean, you can say that the PAC 12 is on fire and you know, the SC losing and, and uh, Stanford getting blown out at UCF, you can be alarmed and, and probably for good reason. But I tell you, Washington state's win on Friday night and Arizona state's win with a freshman quarterback on the road at Michigan state on Saturday were great wins. And let, if you like the Pac-12, let's focus on those. Well, we can, foc- we can focus on those, but the reality, and maybe I'm wrong, the reality of all these other things that are happening that are not good results for the Pac-12, I'm assuming you're just going to say, Mitch, every one of those bad things that happens in terms of out-of-conference losses makes it more and more and more and more difficult for a one-loss Pac-12 champion to be in the Final Four. Or am I wrong about that? You're absolutely right about it. And uh, a one-loss conference champion is going to need help, meaning that they supplant a two-loss somewhere else where there will be a groundswell of national support to say the two-loss out of one of the other conferences is better than the one-loss in the Pac-12 because of all this carnage that we're seeing each and every week uh, with Pac-12 teams getting knocked off. Uh, many times by group of five opponents. Uh, we're behind. I mean, I, I, the number of coaches that I've, you know, done battle with over the years that now have become friends and, you know, see me uh, on television or, or, or hear me on the radio, text me and, and fire their, their dismay that we're behind as a conference. We have let the other conferences get a big lead. 
And now when you see the Najee Harris is the big Alabama running back who comes from California, you see a star freshman receiver from Folsom High School in California playing for Clemson. That tells you what the repercussions of falling behind are. That the California, the, the Pac-12 footprint of recruits are leaving. And that is a problem and has to be addressed. And we have to come up, and I say we, because I feel myself an affinity towards that portion of the country. And certainly that conference is, I'd like to tell people, Mitch, I've been booed or fired by everybody in it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, I, I, we, we got to come up with a strategy of how to keep people home and how to get our programs up to the same level that these uh, behemoth programs are monopolizing the attention of the country. Did you see any of the Washington-Hawaii game? And if you did, uh, how important and how crucial was it to get back on the horse? Didn't see it, but was not surprised. Uh, you know, Correcting wrongs is what Chris Peterson has done. He, you know, Nick Saban has a great line. He said, we're never going to waste a loss. I feel like that's true of Chris Peterson as well. Uh, they, they, they find ways to fix things that are broken. He'd mentioned tackling. It, clearly, they did a better job with that. You know, Hawaii is a good football team. I did their game against uh, Arizona, yeah. and they went up and down the field. Uh, they, it wasn't an accident that they beat Oregon State, uh, but I thought it would be a tall order to go into Husky Stadium, and particularly after a loss and get that done. So it was, uh, I think, important for Husky fans to see that uh, correction in that kind of fashion. The voice of Rick Neuheisel, our guest, and he joins us courtesy of Fireside Home Solutions. Don't forget FiresideHomeSolutions.com because football season is fireplace season. You know, Rick, when I come home late on Saturday night from a from a get-together and I turn on the television the last three weeks and I expect to see, okay, I want to see all the upsets in college football. What did I miss? Uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong about this, but it sh- it just feels like there haven't been in the top ten or twelve the upsets early season that we typically see in college football. Maybe that's an indication that everybody's playing cupcakes. Maybe it's an indication that all these teams, these top five or eight teams, are just better uh, than everybody else. Has anybody caught your eye? I know about Clemson and I know about Alabama and I know to a lesser extent about Georgia and, and Ohio State. Or LSU, who who has caught your eye in maybe this past weekend or in the last few weekends that might be someone to keep a you know to keep an eye on as we go along? Well, you didn't mention them, but I think they're in the same company of the group you just mentioned, Oklahoma. Yeah, you know, o- Oklahoma Oklahoma has won the Big Twelve four years in a row, so they're clearly and they've been to the playoffs uh, three times. They're zero and three in the playoffs. Uh, and defensively is the main reason why they haven't advanced because they just haven't had that side of the ball to go along with all those other programs that you mentioned. But I think they're better there. Alex Grinch, the former Cougar defensive coordinator for all our Cougar listeners out there, uh, is now the architect of the Oklahoma defense. I think he's uh, going to have a real uh, effect, a positive effect on that, that group. And then Jalen Hurts. I think the best story of the college football season thus far has been Jalen Hurts. This is a guy that got benched after being 26-2 and two at Alabama. He gets taken out of the half t- at halftime of a national championship game. Imagine that. You, they take the ball from you. And Tua Tungavailoa goes out there and throws 24 second-half passes. 
24 of them and ends up winning the game with a beautiful throw down the left sideline to Devontae Smith that, you know, another true freshman and, and the world has now got this, this just absolute apple of their eye into a tongue of Iloa. And Jalen Hurts is now this guy that has to just go and sit in the backdrop. And, you know, he didn't want to be there. Then he said, you know, I'm going to stay. He graduates and he waits his turn. He comes off the bench in the SEC championship game last year when Tonga Bailoa, ironically, in the same building goes down, ironically against the same team goes down. He goes five for five on third down conversions and helps Alabama get to the playoffs and win the championship. Now he transfers. He's average. He's over 80% as a passer at Oklahoma. Same place that Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray won uh, Heisman trophies. He's over 80%, and he's also over nine yards a carry. Those are amazing numbers. He ran for 160. Now, I know it was UCLA, but he ran for 175 <laughs> against Houston yeah. in, in, the first, in the first week of the season. Yeah. He's, uh, he, he's been absolutely off the charts. He's yet to throw an interception. Really fun to watch a kid who I think we dub now the perfect transfer. And so I ask, who outside of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, doesn't want to see that young man play Alabama in the national championship semifinals or finals and really stuff it to Nick Saban? Is there anybody outside of Tuscaloosa (laughs) that doesn't want to see Nick Saban's face on that sideline while Jalen Hurts does his thing against the Crimson Tide? From your lips to God's ears, I hope we get that game. I and I, it's not so much that I need to see Nick Saban cringe that uh, Jalen Hurts is his undoing, but but to see that game with Tua and Jalen on the each side, and uh, that would just be magic. I, I I got my fingers crossed. We get that contest. Yeah. yeah. Before we finish up with Rick Neuheisel, brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Uh, Rick, normally we just talk about football and college football and stuff that happens on the field, but every once in a while there's a story that 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 warms your heart. In our first segment of episode 50, 57, this episode, I talked about how uh, all we hear about for weeks and weeks is Antonio Brown, and it really kind of puts a bad taste in our <laughs> mouth when we hear about stories like that when it comes to sports. And we need stories like... Uh, Naomi Osaka at the U.S. Open with young, uh, with the young player grabbing her and putting her arms around her in defeat. It was just a wonderful uh, act of Coco sportsman- Goff, yeah, yeah. Coco. Uh, just a wonderful act of humility, humanity, sportsmanship. And now I get this story, and I know that you have another one uh, that that we talked a little bit about at the beginning. The the rabid SEC fans in Athens, Georgia, the University of Georgia Bulldogs all dress up in pink. The entire crowd dresses up in pink to uh, pay homage to the fallen wife of the opposing team's head coach who passed away tragically at the age of 49 to breast cancer. What a scene in Athens. I'm not sure I've ever seen anything like that in Athens, Georgia. It really makes you feel good about where we are in college football when we see a, a group do what the, 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 the people in Athens did. We say that uh, the world is, you know, six degrees of separation. You can get to somebody in six phone calls. Uh, it uh, in, in, in the world of college football, it's probably two, right? Yeah. Blake Anderson is a great guy. I've played golf with him. Uh, he lost his wife, Wendy, to a two-year battle with breast cancer. And he took a leave away uh, from his team there at Arkansas State. 
And I don't know if you saw it, Mitch, but there is a video uh, as it, the coach that was taking over the team, the interim head coach, was going through, and it was on the board as keys to beating UNLV, a team that they beat the, the week before they traveled to Athens. And he, and Blake walked in. He'd been away from the team since his, the passing of his wife. He'd walked in, and the team went crazy. He stood up. It was a standing ovation, he, and he was getting hugs from everybody. And it, and it made it, as I watched it, I'm sure anybody who will watch it, it gets you emotional, right? Yeah. Well, the Georgia fan base did that in spades again. They, they basically all wore pink. They all uh, were there to show support and, and uh, let Blake know that uh, she would always be remembered. And, and I, you know, the game was one-sided and Georgia got ready for them and, and uh, played their really good football team. And we'll find out how good when they get Notre Dame there this weekend. But uh, it was really a great tribute, and I know it meant the world to Blake Anderson. The other story that I was going to share with you also in the yeah. SEC, this, this youngster, this fourth grader, he uh, is going to school in Florida, and he's a Tennessee fan, so he's got an orange shirt, but he doesn't have a logo. So he wants to draw UT up and create his own logo and then put have a couple of, uh, you know, what what a the paper clips or something yeah. get him to put it onto yeah. his shirt so yeah. it can stay on there. Yeah. Well, these girls in the in the uh, lunchroom teased him and made fun of him. They're all fourth graders, you know. I don't and know that anybody was it was a terrible act of bullying, but it made him feelings hurt. So his teacher put it on Facebook to try to draw some support for this for the Tennessee shirt that she thought was so cool, and it got all these hits. It went viral, as they say, and. The University of Tennessee actually took the design and made T-shirts in that design and sold over 50,000, <laughs> all the proceeds to stomp out bullying. Uh. At the, there's a program to stomp out bullying. And later in the week, as this thing kept going and gaining more momentum, they, they told the kid, if you want and your grades are good enough, you've got a four-year scholarship wow. to come to Tennessee. Isn't that nice? How good's that? College football, baby. How good's that? Now I know. Now I know what. Now I know why it's dragged you in for so many years, Rick. I never understood it until tonight. I got it now. It is a great game. It never uh, ever stops surprising us. Yeah, we want to fix things, and that's the way we all things we care about. Uh, we want to address and fix things. But at the end of the day, it's nothing better than a Saturday afternoon. Nothing better. Who wins Michigan, Wisconsin? Who wins Notre Dame, Georgia? Great questions. I'm going with Georgia. Uh, I think that uh, as good as Notre Dame's been, I don't know that they're as fast as Georgia, and I think that'll catch up to them uh, when their defense is out there and, and that offense gets moving, especially with Georgia's offensive line. I am going to lean Wisconsin in this Michigan game. I have not seen enough of Michigan's offense under Josh Gaddis the Alabama assistant that's now there calling what's supposed to be a high-octane, high-tempo offense. I haven't seen it look like that. It looks still a little pedestrian. The turnover bug is a problem there in Ann Arbor. I'm going to go with uh, the Badgers, who, by the way, have outscored opponents 110 to 0. They got a good running back who might win the Heisman, right? Jonathan Taylor's been outstanding. And they've actually started throwing him the ball this year. You know, he's got a I, I, know, I think maybe two or four. He had two touchdown passes in the in the first game. I don't know if he didn't if he had another touchdown catch, 
but uh, but uh, he's he's off to a fabulous start. He he's a bona fide big time player. Fireside Home Solutions presents Rick Neuheisel. Rick, great to visit with you again. Thanks for doing it on episode fifty seven, and I hope to speak to you at this time next week. Appreciate it very much. Fingers crossed that we get there to fifty eight, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rick. See you now. Our guy Rick Neuheisel with the weekend in college football. Huskies and Cougars both win big. Huskies really had to have it. And the Cougars are rolling after going down to Houston and winning on, what was it, Friday night. Talk about our guy. Executive producer Steve Dion recently refinanced his home, listened to my advice, called the Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage and Jordan Flowers, and got great results. Yeah, I gave uh, Jordan a buzz in uh, late July. Um, was interested to get a uh, quote on a refi, um, just the way the market has been with, with interest rates dropping as they have. Kind of tailored a, a mortgage around my preferences. One of the main parts that was appealing was the fact that he was able to cut out my mortgage insurance. Uh, he bought that out completely, um, really consolidated the loan into one clean monthly payment, amortized over a shorter time horizon and at a lower rate. Really easy process. You know, working with Jordan and Christina there, not not bad for a Coug. You know, I I was uh, hesitant to put my uh, put my dollars and cents into uh, the hands of a, a Wazoo grad, but. You know, it all turned out t- turned out well th- thus far. From beginning to end, Steve, how long did it take? It took about a month total. How long was the first phone conversation until you determined what you could save per month? It's about a 15-minute call. When you include the mortgage insurance, how much less are you paying per month now on a percentage basis thanks to the refi with the Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage? I'm paying about 8 to 10% less a month on top of that. Uh, we'll be paying for five less years. So it's kind of a win-win on both both sides. So my line on the podcast that you're crazy not to call the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage with the low interest rates at the moment, just to find out what you could be saving in a refinance is on point. Well, it, it's valid unless you want to spend more money every month. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Oh, and Mitch, one last thing. Where's my tumbler? There it is. Stop standing on the sidelines. Guild Mortgage and the Kirkland office at 425-250-3150. You could start saving big time today. Unfiltered. Yelich crumbles to the ground after fouling one off his foot. It's going to need a minute. Let's see where that got him. He does wear that protective pad on his foot. That was off the knee. Not a good sign here. I think it's been too long since we've had our next guest on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Here he is, Sirius XM and Stadium Sports. If you don't know what Stadium Sports is, um, you know what, Steve? You get paid the big bucks. Explain, because the technology, I I can't even figure out a cell phone anymore. Uh, Tell everybody what Stadium Sports is and what your role is on Stadium Sports. Yeah, so Stadium Sports is kind of an online sports center. They do uh, they do sports shows online on the internet. Uh, you can go to StadiumWatch.com and check it out. And, and I'm their baseball analyst. And, and uh, uh, they've got a morning show from from 10 to 11. At some point, it's going to move from 9 to 10 Eastern time. Uh, and then it's uh, the show in the evening. They're going to change that to a fantasy show. So I got a lot of great things going on. Uh, it's a group started by Jerry Reinsdorf 
of uh, his one of his sort of side ventures, the owner of the the Bulls and the White Sox, and and uh, was Silver Chalice, and, and and for a while 120 Sports, which was effectively. You know, 120, 60 seconds plus 60 seconds in every sports topic, 120 seconds on it. And, and that's still sort of the format. Hit a lot of different topics. They go through a lot of different sports. And, and uh, pretty much an online sports center that uh, allows you to sort of get updated with all the sports uh, while you're sitting at your computer. And so how often are you on, Steve? Because I, I tune it in from time to time, and I see you uh, with that same background. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're in a lodge. I don't know if you're shooting elk. I, I don't know what's going on over there. But, <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> I'm at home. I, that's my side porch i've got a little uh, scoreboard uh, uh my wife got me for father's day it's got phillips field on it the oh, oval where you hang the numbers on it and yeah. uh, a little stone chimney behind it so yeah That's it's nice. kind of cool and and uh, so uh yeah i'm on monday through friday uh in the on the morning show at okay. uh, 10 to, to 11 eastern time and then uh in the afternoon as well on the 6 p.m show uh uh monday through friday so i do a lot of work for him and love working with him and, and uh, a lot of good stuff and we have fun sort of breaking down everything in major league baseball well, nobody does it better than Steve Phillips. I've said that for years and years, and it's not just because I love you, but it's it's true. And, I, and I'm certain that on Stadium Sports and on SiriusXM, you've dealt with the Christian Yelich injury already. This is old news for you. I originally reached out when I saw the, the news, and it's funny. A guy fouls a ball off his knee or off his foot. We see it a million times every year, and typically... Almost always, right? It's it's you, you hop around a little bit. It hurts like hell, and then you walk it off, or at least the next day it feels a little bit better. You you wonder why more guys don't break bones in their foot when they when with the velocity the ball's coming off the bat. I don't know. The Christian Yelich injury. What a shame. Was he on his way to the MVP in the National League, or was Bellinger well, going to win it? Yeah, I think Bellinger had the edge. But what we did see last year was Yelich finished in a flurry. You check out his second half numbers, particularly September, and he finished in a flurry. And sometimes the last things in the last thing in the judge's mind, you know, in this in this uh, case, the baseball writers, you know, might have been able to sway them. But I think Bellinger had the edge coming in. But it doesn't matter. He's had an MVP caliber season. There's no question. And, and uh, it's as, it's less about the award for him than it is about what it means for their playoff run. As they, you know, they sit a game behind the Cubs for the second wild card spot. They've played really good baseball. The Brewers have. They've won eight of their last ten. They've been on fire. They've they've you know sort of really kept pace considering how undermanned they are uh, with their pitching staff. They've lost guys there in the bullpen and the rotation, uh, and yet they, you know, they keep sort of plugging away. Craig Council's done a terrific job there, uh, but obviously the Yelich loss is pretty significant. The Brewers are going to, they're, they're one, as we record this, they're a game back in the National League wildcard race. Um, I, I saw all the sports centers and all the different things. I don't know that I saw your, your piece on stadium. Everybody just wrote him off, and I was wondering, you know, yeah, he's a great player, but it's a team sport, and they're only a game back at the time of the injury. What's to say they can't catch some? They could probably catch both teams. Still a few games left to go. They could catch both teams in the National League wild card. Well, here's the thing. I mean, they, they can because the Cubs play the Cardinals seven games, and so if the okay. Brewers keep right. pace with the Cubs and sort of draft on them, using an auto racing term, and the Cubs beat up on the Cardinals, and then at the end, the next thing you know, the Brewers sort of get hot where the Cubs cool off a little bit, they could actually uh, creep into that division. You know, here's the thing. What, you know, typically, the longer you have left in the season, 
the better roster wins. Yeah. But when you get down to the sprint, when you get down to the end, it has nothing to do with the better roster. It's the team playing the best. It's the team playing better that ends up winning. And so, you know, lesser teams can win as long as they get hot. And it could very well come down to, you know, which teams get hot at the end. Uh, and you worry for the Brewers a little bit that maybe they've gotten hot just a little bit too early. Uh, you know, the Mets have sort of stopped and started. The Phillies have stopped and started. They just can't ever seem to get traction going. As soon as you start to believe in them, they cool off. Uh, but the Brewers can certainly do it. But uh, the Cubs seem to be playing a little bit better baseball right now over the weekend. Uh, and, uh, you know, against the Pirates certainly helps for them. Uh, and they're hoping to sort of keep that momentum going as they do have seven games left, the Cubs, against the St. Louis Cardinals. Steve Phillips is our guest. You know that we sit ha- sit here out in the American League West and uh, you don't need me to tell you 27 at the, the time of this recording, 27 games under 500. And I got to I got to admit, I guess I'm a salty old man. It gets a little annoying every year watching Oakland win games when you sit here in Seattle. And I, I scratch my head. I don't I, every year I ask myself, how do they do it this year? 29 games over 500 at the time of this recording. 147 run differential. Looks like they're going to be in the playoffs as either one of the two wild card out of the West. Uh, Give us a sense. Do you have any idea or any thoughts on that organization? Because they seem that they're not spending $240 million like the Boston Red Sox are, Steve. Yeah, you know what what Billy Bean is doing is – you know, still the money ball philosophy of finding value, right? Where can I find value? It used to be on base percentage, then it was stolen bases, it was defense, and finding value. And what, what they have, the, the, their sort of analytics that they follow, you know, as we look at the analytics in the game today, is similar to what the Dodgers do, in that you look at it and think they never put a below average player on the field. And so teams build their roster, and they think, okay, we love our starting lineup. But when a guy has a day off, the player that replaces the player that, that is playing well yeah. is a below-average player. Somebody gets hurt. Yeah. They call up a below-average player. And so ultimately what happens is the more below-average guys you play in games over the course of the season uh, is ultimately causes you to lose. And what the Dodgers do uh, and what the, the A's do and some other teams do uh, is that they're trying to never put a below-average player out there. So they may not have the best players, but they never have below-average players in over 162 games. That allows you to win more games. And so, you know, they got off to a little bit of a slow start. They look at it as that it was just sort of things didn't go their direction. It was more luck than it was talent. Uh, and if their system worked the way they believed it worked, they ultimately over 162 games would prevail. And sure enough, here they come. They're doing it again. Uh, and that's why depth is important. That's why the Yankees have been able to win. Because Brian Cashman, in, in addition to impact, for the large market teams. You can buy impact. Uh, they, they also built in depth, and so they had injuries, and they kept running a new guy in there, and, oh, that guy's above average, too, and that guy's above average, yeah. too. They may not be the best, yeah. but they're above average, and over time, over the, the long season, that ends up uh, turning into a lot of wins. Well, okay, but it, it, you, can, you can talk about money ball all you want. To be in a position, though, to do what you just explained, which is not ever – when you're talking about Major League Baseball, you're talking about how many guys play over the course of a week or a month, and when there's injuries, and then September, 
it's not easy to not, to not have a below average player in the lineup. I mean, they've got to, it gets right. back to yeah. old fashioned analysis. You go, you better have a great farm system, or you better be doing something right to be able to have a group of players, a group of I don't know, forty players, where you're not ever putting a below average guy out there on the field, Steve. And then on top of that, I'm glad you followed it up because on top of that, what they do is that when they do call up players. They look at the game. They look at the situation. They look at the the potential situation that could come up during the game, and they say who fits best in that moment. Who fits best to start the game? Who fits best if they go here, if they go there? So where an individual player may not actually be above average, in a certain matchup or moment or situation, he could be. And they find those situations to be able to do it. So it's developing and selecting the right guys and then putting them in situations to succeed. Now, the other thing they do is Oakland, they got Homer Bailey and Tanner Roark. And when there were pitchers available to trade deadline, people yeah. wanted Bumgarner and right. they wanted Bauer right. and they wanted all these other guys. Right. They, those other guys, Homer Bailey, I'm like, what? All right, yeah, you want Homer Bailey, take him. Nobody else, they didn't fight for him. They got it at a real value. They didn't give up anything for him. Tanner Rourke was doing okay in Cincinnati, but he's just did okay. What they do is they get guys like Mike Fires, uh, and then the year before, and they say, okay, you're good at this, but let you could be better if you do this more and that less. And if you use this pitch more and that pitch less. And that's all analytics. And then it's not just the analytics. It's having the ability to communicate what all the numbers mean, what the trends mean to the player to get him to actually implement it and understand it and then go out and digest it and use it in, in action. It almost sounds like they go to Nordstrom Rack when everybody else goes to Nordstrom and they find little pieces that uh, they can wear. I can wear that on this given night, but I won't wear it too often. And they just kind of build that way while everybody else is going after the big ticket, pick ticket items. The voice is Steve Phillips. And I know, look, we're going to have great baseball here. The next month is going to be very, very exciting. You know, in the National League, uh, the Dodgers and the Braves seem to me, obviously, the class. And in the American League, we've got really good teams, Houston, the Yankees, even Minnesota. Uh, for my money, and I might just be weird this way, Steve, and you can uh, you can slap me around if you will. To me, the best story, the best story, not best, the most in- interesting story of the year is on the flip side. And I mentioned it earlier. I think I read an article that the Boston Red Sox spent something like $250 million this year. $250 million on payroll uh, only to fire the president and GM, only to be sitting, what are they, 10 whatever games out of the wild. I mean, they're not going to the play- playoffs. How do you spend $240 million, $250 million in Boston for this? Well, I mean, look, they won the World Series last year with effectively the same roster. And so I think the, the other question is, how does the same roster play so much less this year than he did last ah, year? Because yeah. they really put together the same team. Uh, and in this game, the longer you keep players, they, they cost you a little bit more money. The better they play, they cost you more money. Uh, and if you lock guys up in long-term contracts, they cost you more money. Uh, it's absurd that Dave Dombrowski got fired. It's just beyond me. Uh, you know, I look at where the Red Sox are and where the Cubs are. is really in the very same place. Not a real deep farm system because they traded away prospects to win a World Series. It worked. Uh, do you think the Cubs regret trading Glaber Torres? Do the Red Sox regret trading Yohan Mankata when they got Chris Sale and it led to a World 
World Series last year. Sure, the contract for sale and price in Evaldi right now don't look great, but those guys all helped them win a World Series last year. And so they're having a down year. There was a bit of a World Series hangover. We haven't had a repeat World Series winner since the Yankees in 98, 99, 2000. So it's not like it's an easy thing to do to repeat. In fact, it's, it's, it's probably the least it's, – it's the sport that has the least – you know, sort of repeat winners. Uh, and so, you know, I don't know. I think that, that you know, the, the way people evaluate things now, and, you know, there's talk that maybe there were some relationships, challenges there, and, and, and problems in that regard. It just was bizarre to me that a guy who is known to be as polite and classy as Dave Dombrowski is having relationship problems, uh, and that they're taking issue with the fact that they're still, you know, they're going to win probably 86 games this year, 87 games this year. Uh, they just underachieved a little bit. Guys didn't quite perform. It happens after you win a World Series. And Sure, they spent some money, but but I look at their team and think, okay, if sales healthy next year and price, they're going to be a really good team again with the core players they have. So so I don't know. It's a little weird what's going on with it. Uh, the, uh, you know, it's a lot of money to spend, but if you win the World Series, yeah. it's worth spending it, and it certainly seemed worth it last year, just not so much this year. Where will Dombrowski show up next? And look, I think if he wants the job again, if he wants to be a GM or president of baseball operations, he'll he'll get a job. Uh, you know, I could see, you know, you wonder if in a year from now, if the Mets don't get it going, whether they might go back to sort of the more veteran, experienced guy instead of the inexperienced guy that they brought in at Brody Van Wagenen. Uh, but I do think Dombrowski, if he wants the job, there will be a team that will give it to him. Uh, and look, he's, he's won a World Series in Boston, uh, won a uh, World Series with the Marlins. He's been to the World Series twice when he was with the Tigers. He's, in my mind, a Hall of Fame baseball executive. Uh, and I've made so many trades with him. I know, I mean, he's as nice a guy as Joe. Like, it's beyond me, this notion that there were relationship problems because he's such a good guy. So uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I think there will absolutely be a job for him. Yeah. You know, he, he started back in the day with the White Sox organization. You wonder if they'd ever go back to the well there with him uh, way, way, way back when as like an administrative assistant he started there. So uh, he's, he's, he's a great executive and, and I, a guy I thought that if they ever wanted a, a, the next commissioner, he'd be a guy that I think would be in the running for it. Give us a final thought on what you expect over here. Well, we'll visit. You and I will visit in the next few weeks, but uh, what do you expect come postseason? You've always said, I think everybody agrees, you know, when you get into these series, pitching, pitching, starting pitching. And the Houston Astros have a lot of it. <laughs> they have a lot of good starting pitching. It, it strikes me that the, the Astros should be the favorites. Uh, I don't know about the records, but the Astros should be the favorites going into the postseason. Am I wrong about that? No, I think you have to look at Astros and Dodgers sort of as the favorites and coming out of the two leagues. Uh, the Yankees are really good. James Paxson is throwing great. He's won Who? nine consecutive decisions. Who? Yeah, I know. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Big Maple. Big Maple's got nine consecutive wins uh, and uh, looks great right now. He's figured it out. He's using his breaking ball more. He has been really terrific. Uh, so the Yankees are going to be a tough out, and the Twins can slug with the other two. They just can't pitch with them. So the turn into a slugfest and they can beat up on any of the other good pitching, they've got a chance. I, I think in the National League, the sleepers, the Nationals. You know, the Washington Nationals with Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin, and Annabelle Sanchez, yeah, yeah. Uh, all pitching yeah. well, could yeah. be a really scary team, but they've got to win that one-game wild card and then advance, and, and uh, that would be a tough division series for the Dodgers, uh, especially, you know, Ru- Ryu pitched better yesterday, but uh, the a real sleeper team could be the Nationals. So the Nationals, if I got it right, would play the one game playoff obviously in the wild card and then the wild card would go to the Dodgers because the Dodgers have the most wins Correct. assuming that the Braves don't catch them and then the Braves would have 
presumably the winner, the winner of the central, right? In the in the in the That's division. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. Exactly. Got it. Got it. Got it. You're the best. Uh, appreciate you joining us on this episode. Uh, Steve Phillips is our guy. Catch him, obviously. Sirius XM. If you haven't checked out Stadium Sports, uh, it's it's Stadium Watch or Watch Stadium. Stadium. Watch Stadium. Watch Stadium. Watch Stadium. Dot com. Check them out. They do a great job. It's like as he said, Sports Center on your computer, and they have really assembled a great staff as exemplified by our guy, Steve Phillips, as their baseball guy. Steve, thanks so much. We'll visit in a couple weeks. Thanks for doing it. You bet, Mitch. My pleasure. Great to hear the voice of Steve Phillips, the former GM of the New York Mets. Wish we had some Seattle Mariners news to talk to Phillips about, but we'll have to settle with all the rest of the pennant races in Major League Baseball. By the way, you guys do realize that you could be enjoying some great pizza, craft beer, or cider as you watch the Seahawks continue to win games, right? in your family room on Sundays or Mondays or Thursdays. Download and use their mobile app. Order online, zekespizza.com, or call 206-285-8646. This is not Grubhub or something like that. This is not a third party. It's Zeke's bringing the order straight to your door. Any combination of food and beer, just as long as it's a minimum of $15, mix and match, order six different beers, whatever you want. All the drivers have shoulder coolers, so believe me, the beers will show up nice and cold. Remember, the one who orders has to be 21 and receive it at the door if you're going to order alcohol. Time to start watching the Seahawks games at Zeke's Pizza. I say we get together this Sunday to watch the Hawks and the Saints at just after 1 p.m. Who's in? 206-285-8646, Zeke'sPizza.com, or download and use the mobile app, Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. was a big football weekend. I know there was lots of college football and NFL and Seattle Seahawks and University of Washington and everything else, but if you listen to the last patron episode, you know that I spent two days of my life that I can never get back in an Apple store getting my son a new iPhone, and I needed some intelligence. I needed an education. I need kind of Apple 101 or cell phone 101, and I've called upon Dave Smith the editor of the uh, Business Insider, Red Letter Dave is his Twitter. Dave, thanks for being with us. Um, I, I just can't believe what's going on. I, I guess I just, I, I'm oblivious to the world of technology as, as far as phones are concerned. Apple's dominance. They've got a new phone coming out. We'll talk about that. But how, how do you explain, how long has it been? Define what Apple's dominance is in terms of the phone marketplace. Sure. Well, I mean, first of all, you got to talk about, you know, the iPhone is the, the gold standard of smartphones. It has been since 2007, you know, so, you know, Apple was really the first to come out with a truly popular smartphone, something that was intuitive, something that didn't tell you that you needed a stylus like a Palm Pilot. You know, you don't need a pen to operate this smartphone. You can just use your finger. So it was something that was approachable. And so ever since then, ever since 2007, you know, it's 2019 now. So for 12 years, you know, Apple has really taken this space and has led the market, you know, every step of the way, um, you know, people will try to copy their designs every year, you know, even when, uh, you know, they introduce Touch ID, you know, a way to unlock your phones with your fingerprint. Uh, now, they're, now they have Face ID, a way to lock, unlock phone, you know, your phone with your face. 
you know, and you see other smartphone makers, uh, you know, try to keep up with these innovations. And, you know, the reason that Apple is so dominant is because they also have these other products that tie you in and keep you so locked into this ecosystem. Something that Apple announced this week was that with the purchase of every new Apple product, so if you, bu- if you buy a new phone for your son, if you buy a phone for yourself, if you buy a Mac computer, if you buy any Apple product, you will get a free year of its new TV service. So uh, Apple is really trying to lock you in in lots of different ways. They have lots of different technologies like Apple Pay and the new Apple Credit Card, which can only be used on an iPhone. So they have lots of different tricks, especially with software and services, to keep you locked into the phones. And I think that's why they've been so dominant. Dave, can you can you define the dominance in terms of numbers? I, I don't know. I, I've had... I've had a Samsung phone. This is like my third one in a row. I don't really use the phone like other people do. I'm sure I use it about one one thousandth of what a young person does, but it's been fine. And yet my wife, my two boys have Apple phones. Everybody I know seems to have an Apple phone. for, For goodness sakes, Dave, we do the podcast and the numbers are overwhelming of how many people listen to the podcast on an Apple podcast app as opposed to all of the other ones combined. Is it... Is it, do they have 75% of the market? Do they have 80%? What are the numbers, or do we not know those numbers? Well, you know, what's funny is that you, you would think that, it, that Apple doesn't have, or that Apple would have the, you know, the, the uh, market share when it comes to um, mobile platforms. But actually, Android really crushes Apple when it comes to, um, really? you know, there's a number of devices out there. Absolutely. But here's the thing, is that Apple makes way more money from iPhone and Apple customers than any Android maker like Samsung makes from its customers. Now, part of that is because Apple also operates the App Store and the iTunes Store and the other services that I mentioned, like the new uh, TV Plus app and this new arcade app that's coming this year. So you can give your kid, you know, like a phone and just, you know, for five bucks a month, they can play unlimited games. You don't have to worry about them making additional purchases. You don't have to worry about them using up your your cell plan because it's all offline. So, you know, they have lots of little ways to get you interested and get you into the Apple ecosystem. And that's probably why the rest of your family is really into it, because it's really hard to leave once you're in. Yeah. So, Sam, you know, Apple, like other Android devices like Samsung, I'm sure you know, have some features that Apple phones just don't have yet. But, you know, Apple overall tends to have a, a more popular product because of all these little tie-ins to other software and services. And also because, uh, you know, since Apple controls the hardware and the software, something that other phone makers just don't do, even Google doesn't do that. Um, you know, Apple controls the entire experience, so the software is really snappy, and all the experiences really try to get you to invest more into Apple. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a system that feeds itself. I'm stuck, Dave. You got to unstuck me. You got, you got to get me out of this. I, I'm, I'm really stuck. Dave Smith is the voice you hear, the editor of uh, Business Insider, Red Letter Dave on Twitter. He follows the technology world. You said something, and I'm having trouble moving on with the interview. You said something like Androids crush. Apple in terms of numbers. Now, I can't get beyond that because if I took 20 of my friends or, or I don't have 20 friends, uh, if I took 20 of your friends, Dave, uh, and I put them in a room and I say, lift, lift your, your phone, it seems to me that 12 or 13 or 14 of them would have Apple and six would have the others or some, something non-iPhone-ish. Am I not right about that? Mm-hmm. No, Mitch, you're totally right. 
But here's the thing. We're also talking about the United States. And you and I, we probably have different friends than in most parts of the world. I see. So, it, you know, you go to India, you go to China, you know, like nine out of ten people there have Android phones. Uh, I mean, simply because it's yeah. a money thing, you know. Yeah. And so that's, that's part of the reason that Android is so popular. But the statistics really are heavily in favor of Android. They have something like 80% of market share. And Apple has something about, like, you know, 15 or 17, you know, close to 20 but uh, there's like a little something in between. Okay. You know, like okay. maybe Windows or something. But, you know, Android phones are everywhere. They're all over the world. You can get them in all shapes and sizes. You can get them from different makers. Uh, the Android operating system is open source, so developers can play around with it. But the downsides are that malware is more of a thing there. The store, uh, you know, the various uh, stores aren't as uh, controlled. You see a lot of junk apps in those stores. And... Um, uh, you know, again, the Apple ecosystem is just hard to it's just hard to say okay. no to when they have all these things that tie you in, even AirPods, you know, things yeah. like, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, headphones, you yeah. know, really tie you into the whole to the whole ecosystem. Yeah, both of my sons walk around with these things in their ears. They don't hear me. I, I don't even think they've got anything on in there. They just want to pretend like they can't hear their father. Uh, Dave Smith, <laughs> editor, business insider. So I think if I'm hearing you right, because this was a question that I had, but I, I guess I know your answer. Um there's the whole, yeah, the Apple phone is just a better phone and it outperforms all the other phones. And there's the other side of this, which is it's just cooler and all the other things that you just mentioned, the tie-ins to have an Apple phone. So, But, but you do believe that it, is, it, it does outperform and it has since 2007. So my question, I guess, is in any other form of business, we, we wouldn't allow one company to dominate a marketplace for 12 years. Ultimately, it might happen five or six or seven years, but ultimately somebody else would come along with something new or something chic or something that's talked about and written about by you guys. And then the, the shift would take place, right? Why hasn't that happened in the phone world to Apple? Why hasn't somebody else come out with something later and greater and, and, taken, the, and taken the shine off of the Apple iPhone? Well, let me put it this way. Uh, I think that that actually has happened, but Apple has better marketing. <laughs> okay. But also, uh, you know, like I've been saying this whole time, you know, Apple has the entire family of products, and I think that is yeah. what is yeah. ultimately, you know, wins the day for them. I'll put it this way. I, I think that you're right. Uh, in that, you know, Apple is probably the most talked about. They are, in a lot of ways, the gold standard of consumer technology companies. But I think that, you know, you look at a Samsung phone like Samsung's new uh, Galaxy Notes that just came out last month, or the new Galaxy S10 and S10 Plus that came out earlier this year. Now, those phones are actually superior to the new iPhones that were just announced this week in a lot of ways. So it's not that other phone makers haven't beaten Apple. Like, Samsung actually produces its screens for Apple. But uh, Samsung's phones actually have better screens than the ones that you'll find on iPhones. But, you know, you can argue about color accuracy and Apple gets to tune theirs a little more. Near, neither here nor there. But the point is, is that, you know, a lot of Samsung devices are better phones than Apple phones when you really just compare them nuts to bolts. All so right. when you compare their cameras, right. you know, the, the Samsung phone, even Google's Pixel phones from two years ago are better than, you know, iPhone cameras. And really? we don't know about this new phone. Oh, for sure. So lots of smartphone companies and, and tech companies have surpassed Apple in some ways, but they haven't beaten them in the, the entire package yet, just yet. Yeah. Now, Google is trying to work on that with, 
you know, introducing more smart home devices and more things that will keep you into the Google ecosystem. But they're just not quite on Apple's level yet. Again, Apple also has this, this uh, culture about it, this prestige. You know, it was started out of a garage by these two guys in California. You know, like Google was started by, you know, like, uh, or Android was started by, like, a, you know, a bunch of nerdy software guys. It's not as cool, you know. Uh, so there's definitely, you know, something to the, to the mythology of these companies, too. That, that's why, you know, people love Apple so much. Um, but, you know, even just looking at something similar across the spectrum in movies, you know, you look at Marvel movies, well, why hasn't anybody done, you know, been as successful as Marvel? Well, it's not that they can't, you know, people have made better superhero movies, but nobody has done the entire thing where they're all tied together. And that's kind of what Apple's doing, where Apple is tying all of their products together in such an enticing way that it's very hard to say no. And once, you're in, once you get locked into one product, you want to buy the others. Yeah. Well, you get AirPods. Oh, I want a yeah. phone. Yeah. I, want it. I want the iPad yeah. to go with it. Yeah. Oh, that works with the, yeah. my Apple TV, too. I want to get that. So, uh, you know, that, that's, that's what makes them okay. so compelling. And before you go, Dave Smith is the, is the guest, editor of the uh, Business Insider, Red Letter Dave on Twitter, talking about Apple and the incredible dominance over the last 12 years. So the new 11s are out. Uh, I don't know much about this. I know I brought my kid to the store. I promised him a gift. His phone, his Apple phone, had kind of expired. It wasn't accepting updates. And once the new one came out, we kind of stepped up, stepped him up. I couldn't believe it, Dave. Seven, mm-hmm. eight, nine hundred dollars for a phone. These are phones that we have for what? Two years on the average? Two and a half years? We're spending four hundred and fifty dollars a year. On a phone, $350 a year on a phone. These phones are incredibly expensive. So what is it? And, the, and you were talking about the cameras. I didn't know that the cameras were inferior because they talk about how there's three cameras and there's this and there's that on the 11. I mean, my head was spinning in the Apple store the other day. What, what is it about the 11? Well, you know, like I said, you know, Apple's actually fallen behind recently in terms of smartphone photography, falling behind to Samsung and Google. And so the iPhone 11 is really their, their, uh, their effort to catch up and in some ways get ahead a little bit uh, in terms of photography. Uh, I think that they've always had the best performing phones. Again, they make their own silicon, so uh, they, can, they control their own chips. The, these chips that are in these phones are smarter than ever. Uh, they're extremely powerful, more powerful than in any smartphone and in a lot of computers you'll find. So uh, the fact that their cameras have now caught up to the rest of the phone makes it a really exciting product. Uh, but you're talking about price. You know, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, talks about how, you know, when you break it down, you know, it seems like an expensive phone, $1,000 for a phone, but when you break it down, it, it comes down to about like $3.50 a day, which is about like a cup of coffee sort of thing. And if you could look at it that way, I, I don't care about that because I don't drink coffee, but I also don't care about that because uh, I just see the value of my phone. I, I pick it up every single day. It's the very first thing I look at because it's my morning alarm. Yeah. It's the last thing I see before I go to bed when I plug it in at night. Yeah. You know, I spend all day reading on my phone. I rely on it for news. I rely on it to do my, to do my job. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely my most personal uh, tech device that I own. Uh-huh. And, you know, for something like that, I'm happy to spend the money on it if I know I'm getting a quality experience and I know that it's going to perform well when I need it. Uh, especially these new phones. The, the great thing about these new phones that's not really getting publicized is their battery life is extraordinary compared to last year's phones. They're getting four or five more hours out of this year's phones than last year, which is a really huge leap. Wow. Like That's not something that's done every year. So this is a really big deal that Apple's chips have been, become so power efficient that they're able to squeeze out four or five extra hours out of these phones. Mm. 
So battery life is a big deal to be able to get through the day. And so I, I see the value in a smartphone. I mean, you know, lots of people might just use them to play games or to text their friends, and that's totally great. You know, I, I personally find, though, that for all the ways that I use it, I FaceTime with my parents, um, you know, obviously texting and calling all day, too. But I do it for work also, and I use it. It is my camera as well. When I go outside, I see something. I want to take a picture. I want to take a video. So my phone is a lot of different things, and I, I see the value there. So I, I can understand why people would not want to spend that much money, especially if you're going to like upgrade in a year or two. But I don't know when I'm going to upgrade the next time. You know, I, I'm just living for today and for right now. <laughs> and uh, part of it is buying into the latest and greatest and seeing what, you know, what technology can do. And, and that's why I'm excited for these new phones. And I think that's why a lot of people are excited to upgrade this year. Dave, Dave, it's always exciting to see where, where new phones are going. Dave, you are, of course, gracious enough to be on a landline with me because I'm such a stickler when it comes to that. Where's your phone right now? And, and what kind of phone is it? My smartphone yep. right now is yep. the iPhone. 10 yep. from two years ago from 2017 so I, I am going to upgrade this year okay um, but I, I didn't upgrade last year but this looks like a really meaningful upgrade uh, you know a lot of people are talking about next year's phones having support for 5g um, you know possibly being a redesign we'll see about that but these phones look great so I'm really excited to try them okay so you're 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 done with the 10 and you're gonna go get it you're gonna go get yourself an 11 when it comes out Right. Yeah, I'm going to uh, get the 11 Pro, okay. the uh, the new one in that new midnight green color. Okay. <laughs> and, how lo- and how long exactly have you had the 10? I had it since it came out, so it came out in 2017. Okay. So you so, had it about two uh, years. The- two years. Yeah, yeah. So how much did you pay for? It. How much did you pay for it? Paid probably over twelve hundred dollars <laughs> between you know when you when you pay for the phone, when and you get pay for the storage that you want, plus yeah. you pay for insurance, Apple Care. You yeah. need that in case it breaks or yeah. anything. Yeah. yeah. And so probably like twelve fifty oh or something God. like that. It was not cheap. But you know what? I, I, I'm, I don't look at my bank account every day and think, oh, I wish I had that money back. Right. You know, I, right. I love my phone. I use it every day. Right. You know, just like every phone owner loves their phone. It's such a personal device. And so I, I see the value there. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's, it, obviously I would love for it to be cheaper. But that's why I think the standard 11 is going to be great for people. The Pro starts at $1,000, but the 11 just starts at $700, which is actually a really great deal because for so long, uh, iPhones that were a lot smaller than this started at $650. So now this phone is bigger. It's a lot better. The cameras are great. It's the f- smartest iPhone you've ever held. Uh, and the battery life is crazy, so okay. for $700, I'd say that's a really great deal, and I think that's the phone that most people are going to get. And they have the Pro, which is nice, too, if you're really interested in seeing the latest and greatest. Dave Smith is the editor of Business Insider. He can be reached on Twitter at Red Letter Dave. Read all of his work on the incredible dominance and length of dominance of Apple and their new iPhone 11s that are coming out now. Dave, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you so much, Mitch. Appreciate it. Unfiltered. All right, four pretty good guests. I gave you a little lesson there. We all got a little lesson on Apple iPhones and why, after 12 years, is Apple still dominating the marketplace when it comes to cell phones. Everybody has an Apple except for me. Everybody has an iPhone except for me. My prediction is you'll be there in a year. I'll be there in two months. Okay, there I've you already go. decided. I'm, 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 I'm not resisting it any longer. I, I had a Windows phone longer than any human on the planet, and eventually I just said, what am I doing? What was that, like three months? 
<laughs> Sorry, uh, second longest on the bus. Okay. No, but uh, I had it forever, and it was just. Was it good? No, but it was free, and so I was like, oh, I'll use it. And then I, you can't. Is get it at really it. that big a? Di- so oh. if you listen to the last segment, you heard the guy from Business Insider say the biggest thing that Apple's got going is they tie all of their products together. And yeah. that you get you get you get sucked into the web of Apple computers and Apple i uh, AirPods yeah. and Apple this and Apple this yeah. and then they all work together all and then one, and once you get into the whole Apple thing you can't get out you 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 literally you literally <laughs> to to leave an iPhone and go to an Android device when you've got all these other uh, Apple things components that are all hooked in you just can't they 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 suck you in and then you can't get out it's like the Roach Motel. Right. <laughs> Once you're in, there's no we're, getting we're out. Roaches check in, but uh, they don't check out. Yeah, I got you. What do you got over there before we finish episode uh, Dwight Stevenson? I was Anything? curious. Are you a fair guy? Do you like going to the fair? What do you think about the fair? Because I, I went this weekend. I was thinking about it. And oh, you did? To the Puyallup Fair? I, I went to the Washington State Fair, yes. It's not the Puyallup oh, Fair anymore? they don't call it that anymore. Why? I don't know. It's a good question. Well, because it's the Washington State Fair. They do they probably... have plastic straws or paper straws? Uh, I don't think I got... I didn't get a straw. I had dinner there, and I didn't get a straw, so maybe they maybe they have nothing. I, I am know. really encouraged by the, the reaction from my straw... My straw rant, whatever, so? whatever podcast number that was on. A lot of people agree with me. I figured that I was in Seattle and that no one, I would get just, I would get like tossed out of Seattle. <laughs> right. How dare you in Seattle <laughs> question doing something for the environment? And I'm willing to do, and as I told you, I'm willing to do everything for the environment except for the, if I could just have the straw, just the plastic straw, the regular straw, I'll do everything for the, you know who's got the best straws? McDonald's. Always had the best straws. Best soda too. Best soda, best yeah. best straws, best ketchup. Oh, interesting. There's a, oh yeah. Best you, ketchup. Have you never noticed the difference between their? Qu- I don't think I have. Have you noticed the difference of the straw? I love their straws. Their yeah. straws are extra, like extra wide. They're I don't a little want to get wider. too, yeah, too yeah. detailed about the straw. Yeah. Do you have anything? What, what do you What do you got over there on your? You had a, like a little list. Well, are you, so you went to the fair. Yeah, do you like the fair? Because I was I was thinking I don't I I, I, don't I have been Mitch to the going fa- to the fair for some <laughs> reason I didn't picture See, it. Here here comes okay Mitch is too uppity to go. <laughs> no, to the I don't fair. think you're too uppity. It's I not worked your at thing. McDonald's. You worked there? Yeah, as a kid. Yeah, I worked, yeah, I, I worked there too. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. I, and when I say that, people are like, no, you didn't. Mitch Levy never worked at McDonald's. I worked at McDonald's for summer. And I do. I, I've been to the fair on probably more than one or two occasions. The that well, fair, the big one, the, Washington State Fair. That's the big one. <laughs> WW two, the big one. That's the big one. That's the big one. What'd okay. you think? Oh, not it's, a fan. It's, it's like yeah, yeah. You know, the fair is one of those things that I believe. For me, it's like we've talked about this before. On paper, it looks like a good idea. <laughs> yeah. You know, it looks different, and you know, the rides and the food yeah, and the sure. elephant ears. Oh, it's great! Who likes? Who doesn't like a nice elephant ear? Right. You know, the the corn on the cob, the oh. smell, of the whole thing. Yeah. And it just you're like, you know what? Let's go to the fair. You know, it's it's one of yeah. those things that you just, yeah, this would be fun. Let's just go to the fair. And then you get in the car, and it's a long drive, and, and the traffic to park, and then you park, and you're a million miles away when you park, and then you get there, and you're parking and, at like Brock Heward's house. Yeah, yeah, well, the whole Heward. Well, they own the whole thing <laughs> for ten bucks. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then and then and then you end up not going on a lot of rides because there's long the lines. lines are crazy, and, yeah. and it's just one of those things on paper that looks like so. So I haven't been back in a long time. You didn't take the kids or the kids into it or. It might be a little old. Like to if hang you out with if parents. you asked, I think both of them have been there, but if you asked them, neither would remember going. Okay. I think the fair is like one of those things that like a high school senior, like Max, 
would do with his buddies. Right. Hey, gotcha. let's just go to the fair. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's tons of teenagers there. So Are I there? Could, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Especially late at night. Yeah. That's when we hit the bricks. When all the teenagers So you took the out. fam. Took the fam yesterday with Three grandpa. Three of you. Uh, oh, with grandpa. Uh, my wife's dad came as well. Okay, so yeah. four of you. We had a great time. I, I won my daughter the biggest stuffy. I should take a picture of it. It's enormous. This How'd big, you win it? Shooting a you basketball. Bought, you bought... Shooting no, didn't. a basketball. This thing must be twelve feet high, and it's and the rim is an oval. They 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 show you. They don't hide it. It's an oval. Yeah, you can't. The ball has to like. It barely fits in. That's right. So I bought. You get th- uh, three. I got three shots. I bought three because I was like, I'm not gonna make this. I got first one. Bam, made it. First shot right in. So now I got. Two. I thought it was impossible to I, make that shot. It looks impossible. So now I got two shots like, left. Isn't there an overhang? So you yeah, can't even overhang. You can't even it's, shoot it's it high. Wet, it's yeah. raining. It's a rubber ball. You it's knocked it home. First one. So now I got two more left. Like I don't want to bring three of these freaking things home. They're enormous. <laughs> but I was gonna just give them to a kid behind me if I did it. Anyway, I missed the next two. The next thing you know, I'm walking back to Brock Heward's parents' house with this thing to put it in the car because we just got there and I want it. You know, I gotta walk around with it for four hours. But my daughter was what, happy. What, I wanted. Did for she her. choose it or did they give you whatever no, no, they give you? She chose it. All you gotta do is get one ball in and each. Isn't she a little old for not, not a little old 10, for stuffies? Uh, she's she, on the border. Yeah, she's on the border. She loves. That's like her thing. Loves. What'd you guys them. eat? Did you do anything else? You do any other games and any? Oh, we did all kinds did of things. How long were you there? Oh, my God. It felt like 10 hours. It was probably like five hours, five or six. Really? You did the whole thing? Look at Long you. Long time. Yeah, well, then did one of our friends- Did you eat bad or did you watch your, your diet when you when you? No, nah, I, I unfortunately didn't really eat bad, but I did have ribs with barbecue sauce. That's got sugar and I had- What did be- she eat? What did everybody- oh, what, what didn't she eat? I mean, just pick something and she probably ate it, you know? Nice. Yeah. She, she goes for it. Elephant ear, the piroshki, the corn on the cob, the whole, the whole freaking thing. Should so- I go? <laughs> Is it over? I Did love I miss it? it? I, I don't know. These guys wouldn't go with me. But th- Come that, on. No, but I'd have to go by myself. That's the thing. I like going because my daughter Would it be weird it. if I just went by myself? A tad. I think it'd be a Mitch tad is just gonna, just I'm just going to go to the fair. Yeah, I'm just going to go to the fair. <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be a little weird. And I don't think you'd enjoy it. It's more, I love it because the kids love <laughs> it. Because you watch that. Yeah, it's fun, man. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, yeah. I did the fair and okay, now good. I'm out for a year. Good, good. What, and what the, the, the stuffy was a what? It was, it was a, a big shark. Shark. But it was enormous. Oh my God. And where is it now? Taking up like a room in your house? Well, it, it goes on her bed with all the rest of them. She's like okay. a hoarder. Okay. She's like a hoarder when it comes to stuff. Okay, animals. she's got a whole zoo in there. Oh my yeah. God, yeah. Okay, all right. Is there an NFL fan base that you think is just kind of the worst as far as being jerks? Does anyone step, stand well, the out Raiders to you? the worst. Yeah, that's kind of easy. You get killed, but you could get killed going to Raiders game in Oakland. Oh, yeah, I guess yeah, they so. They beat you up in the parking lot if you wear another – you can't even wear another another team's hat. Because to me, I've right. always hated – That goes beyond jerkdom. That's like serious – Danger. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I've always hated Eagles fans for some reason. Yeah, Eagles fans because they threw something at Santa. Well, that's batteries at Santa sort of Claus. when it, it was a snowball. Is a snowball at Santa? <laughs> Santa? I know they threw batteries well, at Santa. Maybe they did that too. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Or they booed Santa. Yeah. Well, they hit yeah. him with a snowball. They're for legendary. Sure. The, the Eagles fans are pretty tough. Yeah. Really tough. They used to have a jail at the old Veteran Stadium. What more do you need? <laughs> if you have a jail in your stadium, it might be looking the beer time as a fan. I base. don't know if there's a jail in the new one or the newish one, Jeez. but there was a. I think it was the old Veterans at the old Stadium. Vet. Yep. Yeah, I think they had a jail. Yeah. Yeah, and then, so I have a friend, you know, Wink, our your old producer who yeah, lo- Philly, lives yeah. for him. You know, yeah, the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. And I remember like talking about me taking my wife to a Seahawks game, and he's like, "Oh, I'd, I'd never take my wife to an Eagles game. That that's no place for a lady." I was like, "What? What do you mean? You wouldn't take a woman? You wouldn't take a woman to an NFL it's no game? place?" Like, what? What are you talking about? Like, it's the weirdest thing I've ever heard anybody uh, say. So. Yeah, Eagles fans. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. So if, what made you think of Eagles fans? They weren't even at home over well, the weekend. There was a story. It was last week. I wanted to get to it. Uh, it was opening weekend. I think 
a radio station had a, a big booth set up and there was a coffin. And I don't really understand what the coffin was there for. Anyway, somebody put a Sean Taylor jersey on the uh, coffin. Right. Sean Taylor, who was killed. Uh, he was killed in his house uh, during a robbery. That's awful. Right. And the fact that no one took it down, it just stayed there. And, and so this guy, Mike Scott from the Sixers, who I'm not too familiar with, he, I think he's from Virginia. He, he grew up a, a Redskin fan. Like a basketball player for the Sixers? Yes. Mike Scott? Yeah. yeah, he's on yeah. the. He plays yeah, for yeah, Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. But he's like, oh, great. My team's in town. I love the Redskins. I'm going to go to the game. This he, was last week. Yeah, he had his yeah. jersey on, the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. And guys, he saw the, the Sean Taylor, and it, I guess it really annoyed him. It should have. Ten seconds later, he's socking people in the face. <laughs> I mean, there's like a brawl. He's like 6'8", and he's just dropping bombs on these Eagles fans. And really? I was loving it. Yeah. He plays in Philadelphia, and he's... He was hitting people in the face? Yeah, you can... You can 76er player was hitting yes. people in the face? Hitting Eagles fans in the face. <laughs> <laughs> it made me laugh so hard for some reason. So I what just, you're really <laughs> saying is that... We can't expect that Eagles fans will do what Georgia fans did this weekend. Yes, you're not going to get any of that. Eagle, the Eagles fans are not going yeah. to not going to pay tribute to the opposing team's coach or coaches. If wife. Sean Taylor's wife happened to coach the Redskins, yeah. no, no, they're not doing that. No. So the thing I, there was a tweet out that some Eagle fan wrote, "Hey Mike, it's different here. It's not safe to be wearing skins near the link. We love you, but some of these fans are insane." And Mike wrote back, "Why? What's going to happen?" <laughs> That's all he said. That made me laugh because he's well, right. He ain't well, scared of them, apparently. Well, apparently uh, we saw what happened. We, right. He answered his own question with some haymakers. Dropping bombs on people. That made me and laugh. And did, did he hit more than one? I mean, was he just oh, was he was he, in, was he in like a brawl? Yeah, there was like two or three of them, and he's just like you know he's got the he's up high and he's just is punching. he in trouble with like the league? Or I anything? haven't heard the Philadelphia seventy. Any... Are we sure it's the same guy? I don't. It said Mike Scott plays for the Sixers. You guys can look it up yourself, but I don't know. Unbelievable. I, I've always kind of wanted to do that to Eagles fans. <laughs> I was kind of jealous of him that day. All right. Did you see Adrian Peterson passed Syracuse alum Jim Brown on the all-time touchdown? Did not see that rushing touchdown. And list? if I did, I ignored it. Well, oh, because nobody, not a fan? nobody, nobody goes in the same breath as Jim Brown. You don't truly believe that. I do. I do believe that. No, you don't. Jim, yes, I do. It's certainly not Adrian Peterson. Okay, Adrian Peterson is like a a really nice Hall of Fame player, one of the one of the best running backs of our era. Jim Brown's one of the greatest running backs of all time. So no, Adrian Peterson does not belong in Jim Brown's breath. Not in the same sense. But don't you think if Adrian Peterson played when Jim Brown played, he okay, would have been better? Go, let's not go down that road. The evolution of man has changed. Yes, yes I get that. <laughs> okay. Jim Brown quit. <laughs> Jim Brown left early. Yeah. Had injuries early. Left early. Jim Brown averaged like no. What what Jim Brown did is like unparalleled. And if if he had gone to Temple instead of Syracuse. I'd be all about Adrian Peterson. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> who has the most rushing touchdowns in the history of the NFL? I, I thought I knew, but I wasn't positive. Do you know who it is? A little trivia for you. The most rushing touchdowns yeah. in the history of the NFL? Yeah, Adrian Peterson's at 107, but the, the leader's at 143 for a Well, career. isn't it Emmett Smith? It is Emmett yeah, Smith. Yeah. Nice job. There you well, go. Well, I do, I do a radio show. Well, you used to. Uh, well, I used to do a radio show. they showed you the door. Right, right, is that yeah. it? Is that it? For, I got one got, more that I, yeah, I don't yeah. even know if I want to talk about this because it's a is little- Is it downer? No, no. It's It might be a little inappropriate because some people say I got the kids and, you know, the whole thing. But I'll, I'll do my best to get around it. Clean it up. Okay. So, the, where the Miami Heat play- the American Airlines Arena. I'm very aware. I'm very, very familiar. You've probably with heard of it. I've been there many, 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 many times. So they announced that the, the naming rights are up. You know, they're going to let someone come in and the highest bidder can name the arena after. It's them. no longer the American Airlines Arena. That's right. A certain company uh, put up ten million dollars to to become the name of the arena. I don't know if you saw who the the company is. Something tells me it's going to be rejected by the league. <laughs> 
I don't even know the I, I don't even know the answer. Are we gonna are we gonna be okay with the rating of this podcast when you say this? Don't get us in trouble. All right. It was a certain adult internet site <laughs> who wants to porn be porn hub or something. Something like that. It's something brothers. Bang Brothers. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah. They put up $10 million to become. Can you imagine? But they, know, but they knew that there's no way that's going to be accepted, and they did it for as a marketing <laughs> ploy so that guys like you would bring it up on podcasts and on radio shows and on TV shows around the country. There's nobody that... It, it, there's nobody that for a, even a fleeting second that works for that company yeah. that thought for a... They could put up $100 million. They literally could put up $100 million, yeah. and the NBA would say no. You just think it's funny. How great would it be if that was your name of the arena? Stop it. All right. Did you happen to see Jared Smart real quick? Jared Smart, receiver for uh, for Hawaii against the Huskies. Do you no. have any idea who Jared Smart is? We didn't talk a lot about the Huskies, but we did with Nuhans. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, Jared no, I, Smart. No, I don't know Does Jared the last Smart. name Smart ring a bell to you in your sports watching days? Did anybody break your heart? Jared Smart. I prefer to focus <laughs> on Maxwell Smart, not Keith Smart. It was his son playing against the Huskies. He's on Hawaii? He's on Hawaii, yeah. He's a wide receiver. I was like, oh, he's I got to bring it out. <laughs> Episode Dwight Stevenson is in the books.